The views and opinions expressed on Red Planet are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect those of Red Planet nor any affiliated or related entities. This podcast is provided for educational purposes only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Red Planet. This week, Trash Futures' Alice Caldwell-Kelly returns for a discussion on the history and utility of 3D-printed weapons and what role DIY armament might play in resistance movements. Also, Peter Thiel's sticky fingers have found their way into the NHS, film and TV writers got their demands met, and the Dutch are experiencing a climate protest squeeze. But first, the show seems to have consumed Sophie's brain. So Kara suggested that we, we talk about the Zelensky clapping for the SS guy last week. And I thought, like, no, that's um, that's boring. I don't want to put that in the I don't want to put that in the news. That's just like, firstly, like it's electoral politics. It's literally just like I I just so many levels of I could not care. And then like I, I think I was saying to Nat just afterwards, like I'm realizing that my 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 quality filter for like what is worth talking about in the Red Planet news and what's worth my attention at all feels like it's become the same thing so much. And I'm just like so irritated <laughs> if someone makes me think about a thing that I just like, I wouldn't bother putting in the Red Planet news. And then yeah, like, yeah. and then throughout the week, I saw like so many people like having, you know, there's the conspiracy side of it where all of the fucking, um, all the people who are determined to show that like the, that NATO is, uh, well, more of a Nazi conspiracy than it is. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it is. It's just, yeah. I know. Yeah. I just caught myself. I was like, they're trying to show that it's a, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing. Like, I was saying as well, like, you know, like, apparently Zelensky was fucked up about it. Obviously, his family is Jewish. They they made him clap, like, clap for an SS guy, give him an award or whatever. And that is fucked up. Of course, he's sad about it. And I was just saying, like, you're sad about the excesses of the system but you're not sad about the system. Like you're a world leader. You're taking part in the, the, the stuff that makes all of this fucking work. But like the Nazis and, and, and this fucking dude, they're in excess of the same shit. Um, that's right. Yeah, I don't know. That's it's right. It's kind of like the, um, the opposite. I mean, I didn't, I didn't follow the situation too closely, but it kind of reminds me of, um, it's like the inverse of that, um, Louis Thoreau thing where he like went and hung out with all the Nazis for like a week or whatever. And then he's like, what would I, what would you do if I told you I was a Nazi? It's like a noticeable vibe. I mean, if I was a Jew. It's, it's like, oh, right. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. That's there. right. That's right. I thought that's what you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. And they, and they literally like, they get violent, like the 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 fucking body language becomes violent. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's really fucking scary. So actually. we're imagining it. We're imagining an alternate version of Canadian Parliament who are like incredibly anti-fash, and then like yeah, halfway yeah. through giving the award, this ninety-nine-year-old man is like, "By the way, uh, I'm not the kind of war hero you think. I was on. <laughs> I was with the uh, the other guys." And then yeah, they all yeah. just start like fucking get, getting ready to throw down against this like uh, <laughs> nearly a hundred-year-old man. <laughs> someone should honestly they're someone's all just like fucking get him oh <laughs> i reckon i could i reckon i could take him in a fight if i if i fought <laughs> that guy in the ring i reckon i it would be a tough fight i'm not gonna lie you know like i think he's probably got some moves uh but i reckon i could probably have him um, you know what it is I it's think what we need 
we we yeah it is it is it's red planet and um i think what red planet really needs is like a 100 year old anti-fascist warrior just for like a oh fair fight, you know? like yeah yeah, we need him. A guy yeah, yeah. That's like 100 years old as well like um, noam chomsky let's get noam chomsky in the yeah. ring <laughs> tim what if i feel 100 years old does that make it okay mm, well you are only as old as you feel is that what is- um Yep. What some people say. So, uh, <laughs> it's Red Planet. Welcome yeah, to the yeah. show, everyone. Uh, I've got a question for Tim. Mm. What's the most base thing you did this week, Tim? Oh, I was thinking about it. Um, I, I mean, I've been life has been lifing. So the last week or two, I haven't really been around Red Planet because there's been lots of other stuff going on. Um, but ooh, the last thing was probably. Um, there was well it was like a rally i would say in auckland um there was if everyone remembers when um what's her name i always get parker posey and posey parker mixed up posey parker it's whatever you want really let's face it the bad one um the bad one got juiced. The bad one versus the extremely good one. Um, so when the bad one got juiced, um, the person that juiced it was a um, young intersex trans woman. They pressed charges against her, I think, for assault. I think that's the charge. But um, it was her court date. So the turfs got together for like their rally, kind of like a block from the courthouse, because they're not allowed to be right at the front. And then so there was like a kind of, um, uh, you know, obviously a counter protest, like an anti fascist one. And um, yeah. And so that was interesting because there was a lot of, there was a lot of discussion and a lot of like really kind of like inter community kind of drama surrounding it about like what is the appropriate action to take um because initially um Eli who was on trial said that um she didn't want a like a a protest at the court you know the court at the trial herself but then later came out in support of like just like a general kind of like you know a protest um and there was, yeah, multiple different kind of like anti-fascist groups that all had different opinions on what should happen and all this kind of stuff. So it was kind of like, I knew a lot of people going into it, they were being like, this might be a little bit of a mess because like the people putting it on are a relatively new group and there's like other anti-fascist organizations that are kind of condemning the action and stuff. But um, it was actually like, they fucking nailed it like it was like so tight like everything like was like planned and prepared for like and it turned out that the turf presence was like absolutely minuscule like i mean it was like the same handful of twitter losers you know so it was like very like you know, i like, mean i think kind... it fits in with like uh posy parker yeah uh her her thing she keeps on saying is like i never lose and obviously she does all the fucking time like you know being kicked out of new zealand and and like there was some shit last week as well uh someplace like cancelled her thing but like they obviously like fash only like to talk about when they feel like they're winning and when they feel like they're winning is when they're doing like their little like fake military parade or fake press rally or whatever yeah yeah well and so um because posy herself had said that she was gonna actually show up to oh shit rally but then she cancelled like i think it was like a couple days beforehand or something like that which is um Funny because I think it was because there was it was so much talk about protesting her 
she made up some excuse. I can't remember what it was, but it was like very obvious that it was like, okay, because you don't have the numbers this time, you know, like even a lot of her diehard supporters and stuff, Bailey Elam showed up. It wasn't the biggest, you know, like um, protest or whatever on either side, but it was, uh, it was still like, I think, I mean, it was like, obviously like the pro trans crowd, like way, way outnumbered the other losers and stuff. But um, even not just for a small protest, even if it had been much bigger, the kind of um, the guidelines and the, like everything that they had put in place was really, really fucking good and would have supported it being a much, much larger protest, you know? So um, the group that put it together, um, TLA, which I think is Trans Liberated Aotearoa or Trans Liberation, um, really like a group of young people that just really, really kind of like um, did an amazing job. Um, and yeah, very like I definitely like now after all that, I feel like I like respect the name of that organization like a lot more than some others that have been going around for years and have kind of like fucked around and you know done whatever like that's fantastic yeah yeah yeah. they were um yeah really really impressive really awesome and just yeah super super cool so all right uh now that i've rambled about that mule what what were you doing earlier well thank you uh tim so basically, I've literally just got back from the most base thing that I did this week. Um, we basically, when I say we, I mean GMTU, uh, an entire caucus from the student branch. Uh, some of the students who were involved in the rent strike as well um, were actually um, over at the Tory party conference, which takes place. And I will have said this last year because I can't tell you how much I hate the fact that they come here, Manchester... Um, especially Greater Manchester in general. If you're not aware of like Manchester and Greater Manchester, Manchester is the city. Greater Manchester is all the areas around it. So if you think of like London, Greater London, um, you know, there, there are lots, there's a lot of wealth disparity, um, you know, like a lot of wealth concentrated in the city centre and certain like really posh suburbs. But overwhelmingly, Manchester is a working class city. And it's like they come here to basically, you know, I don't know what the word would be, but they, they, they come in here to basically try and dunk on us. Um, and they go to the Midland Hotel. And it should be noted that the Midland Hotel is where Hitler would have had his headquarters if he took over, uh, the UK. That's literally, he wanted, he wanted to be in that. He wanted to be in that place. And the Tories have their conference there every year. Coincidence? I think not. Anyway, we went there, um, because Shelter, who are an NGO that basically, uh, we do a lot of work with. Um, they, uh, essentially like were, were, they had a room in the Midland Hotel where they were basically trying to shame Michael Gove. Uh, Michael Gove is, is the head of leveling up or something like that. I don't know what he is. I don't know what his position in the cabinet is. It doesn't yeah, matter. They're all the same. Last time I heard, I think he was the minister for leveling up. Minister for leveling up, which is just a fucking load of shit. The, the leveling up thing is basically like the Tories giving platitudes on how they're going to end poverty and, and like make uh, working class people's lives better. Um, so, you know, it's... I'm it's... so sorry. Michael Gove's, uh, the Honourable Michael Andrew Gove's official position is the Secretary of State for leveling up. It's cringe. It's so cringe. Um, so essentially, um, 
he was having he, hopefully the shelter lot were shaming him about the fact that you know as the secretary of state the right honorable leveling up you know he was basically saying that he was going to abolish section 21 the current housing minister rachel mclean who will also be there um said that section 21 was going to be abolished by uh autumn but the equinox was literally last week so what's going on um, and we were basically there trying to uh, hold into account. I mean, at the end of the day, we're quite aware at GMTU that we're not going to be able to hold the government to account. You know, we're a tenants union. We're quite well aware that actually we are better spending our time if we're speaking to people on the street. So a lot of what I was doing, I, I basically ended up organizing quite a lot of it. Um, but, you know, I, it cannot be said enough that it wasn't just me. It was the people from the student branch who were there. It was the people from the rent strike. It was the other uh, members of GMTU who were in other branches. Uh, it wasn't a huge uh, protest, but we were there and we definitely like, you know, ha handed out a bunch of leaflets, got a lot of people, uh, it, it, you know, to go, oh, my God. OK, yeah, they said they were going to abolish Section 21. They actually had that as an election promise. They They were elected on the premise uh, for a lot of people that they were going to end Section 21. If you're not aware what Section 21 is, it's basically um, no-fault evictions. It's it's the the, uh, the part of the law that landlords have to state and give to tenants in order to actually get them out of the house for literally doing nothing wrong. They do it all the time just to put the rent up because if you aren't in a fixed-term contract with a landlord here in the UK, they need to give you a uh, Section 13 that can be uh, challenged in court you can go to a tribunal for that it's very hard for them to actually like do it properly but if you're in a fixed contract they have to say when we renew your contracts we're going to put the rent up otherwise if they don't state that they can't do that either so the reason that they do section 21 evictions is for stuff like this basically so that's why section 21 is bad um my day consisted of running around the city uh, getting a bunch of stuff, picking up a loudspeaker that isn't even ours. We're borrowing it from the Trade Union Congress. Um, uh, I got a bunch of material from Ben, who's been on Red Planet before. One of my comrades at GMTU is one of our paid staff organizers. Uh, and he gave us a bunch of stuff. He gave us some food. Well, well, his partner gave us some food. Well, I guess they both did. Uh, from the, the They had his son's first birthday party today so that's why he couldn't be there so we had food for the uh for the people who came with us and we also had a bunch of materials to make banners but i was one of the only people uh making banners i went to a housing co-op uh with uh, one of my comrades lolo who will hopefully make an appearance uh on the show soon fingers crossed talking about things like anti-fascist uh organizing and grt rights and stuff uh, so I went over to their housing co-op where they live with a bunch of other base people and I made my first ever placard. Uh, I'll show it you. Those of you that are in the, the, the podcast, you won't be able to see it, but it just says end section 21 evictions. And I think it looks pretty good. So I did yeah. that. Um, and yeah, honestly, like a lot and for the of podcast was... listeners, it's uh, it, end and evictions are in really big letters. So you see yeah. it end evictions first. Yes. It's like that, you know. That's what I was. That's what I was going for. <laughs> it's, giving, it's giving big, like, what if, what if Blue Peter was really based? Yeah, literally. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just basically like did a bunch of that. Uh, it was very unfortunate, and I want everyone to give me an F in the chat uh, because basically my soul died because I had to liaise with police because I was one of the organizers uh, to save face. I shook a cop's hand. I know. I'm a class traitor. It's disgusting. I feel disgusting. 
Uh, but yeah, it was all basically to try and stop my comrades from getting arrested. So that's how I'm justifying it. Um, but yeah, so that was that. That's what I did. That was the most basic thing I did this week. Uh, Sophie, what yeah. about you? Uh, not shaking a... any cops' hands. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, the most base thing I did this week, I shook hands with every officer in the Met- London Metropolitan <laughs> Police. <laughs> but with one of those hand shockers? Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> so much respect for the boys in blue. Ah, gotcha. That would be um, so funny. No, I actually went up to every officer and I went, so much respect. Oh, psych. Anyway, uh, no, I actually haven't had a super, 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 like, base week, really. I've been, I had a little bit of work burnout recently, and I so I've been, like, easing myself back into a project that I'm working on, and mostly just, like, having a mix of social plans to recuperate my energies and, uh, and uh, exercise to, to, you know, make myself feel better that way. I am doing some, a, a couple of pretty, pretty base things soon. And so I can kind of borrow from my future base week announcements um, because I started planning for my The World Transformed panel. I'm going to be doing a panel on Sunday, next Sunday. That's why I won't, I won't be here for the next episode, uh, called The Coming Climate Insurrection at The World Transformed in Liverpool. And there will be people from XR, Just Stop Oil, Greenpeace, and Stop Rosebank. So we're having a call tomorrow uh, that I was arranging this week, plan how the panel's going to go. So, yeah, I've, that's arguably pretty based. I, I'm, I'm kind of wary of it because the World Transformed still, like, interacts a lot with, like, the establishment. Well, not with the establishment Labour Party at this point because, the, like, the the PLP or whatever is not. Um, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> they, they interact with the Labour left, which is okay. Yeah, I mean, that was pretty good. Um, we do have a, a submission from a based viewer this week, which is quite exciting. Um, Mule, do you want to read out our... Do you see in the notes? I do. I do want to read it out. Uh, this is from our based viewer, Luna. And she writes to us saying, it's kind of two weeks ago now because I was too shy to email the week of. But anyway, across Canada on the 20th of September, there were anti-trans protests throughout the country, nominally protesting the inclusion of SOGI, which stands for Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity Curriculum. But obviously it's just trying to put a nice face on the Don't Say Gay movement. Anyway... I and a few people I know were part of the counter-protest and we successfully outnumbered the transphobic protesters. It wasn't that way in all the cities, but it feels good to be part of why the Bayside won in my own city. Hell yeah, absolutely awesome, Luna. Great news uh, and huge solidarity uh, with uh, 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 our anti-fascist super soldiers all over the world. We want to know <laughs> what base things you've been doing. You can message us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, or send an email to base at redplanetshow.com. Include your name and pronouns if you're cool with that, and we may shout it out in a later episode. Ooh. But right. we got some news. It's yep. time for Sophie to bring oh. us the good news. You got some good news yep. for us. <laughs> I was speaking of based, uh, we've got some pretty good news to begin with because the WGA Writers Guild of America uh, strike has ended with a big dub for the unions and the, with the bosses getting their shit enormously clapped. So after 146 days or over four and a half months, the Writers Guild of America has won against the movie industry bosses. The newly negotiated contracts include minimum writers' room sizes, guaranteeing jobs for at least three unionized writers from day one on new projects, wage increases, a prohibition on studios using AI to write 
uh, and a big win that's been a long time coming regarding stream services. I'll tell you about stream services in one second, but I just want to re-highlight that thing about writer's rooms um, because anything of any size in the industry has a has a development room and people like throwing ideas around and working together um, and counter to the image. I think a lot of people have of like one writer churning out a script or maybe a writing partnership. It's like, you know, no, a bunch of people work together on this stuff. And um, like all employees in that kind of situation where there's a certain amount of like man hours of labor that need to go into it, capitalism wants to reduce down to have like the fewest number of people employed doing the largest amount of work for the least pay. And so the union getting that win that there have to be at least three unionized writers in any development room, that is huge. That's fantastic. That's guaranteeing jobs and, and much better working conditions and pay uh, for the writers. Right. Streaming services. Uh, streaming platforms up until now have been paying writers based on individually negotiated contracts. And unlike TV networks that would publicize their viewing figures and pay writers proportionally, streaming platforms were hiding their viewing figures and paying writers only what was negotiated. But thanks to the WGA strike, streaming platforms will have to disclose their ratings and pay writers proportional residuals. Now, this might not immediately seem like it affects more people than just uh, industry uh, workers, but with uh, streaming platforms previously hiding their ratings, right, they were able to pull all sorts of bizarre shit. So uh, this may have a knock-on effect to the streaming platform model throughout the industry, which frequently produces masses of content just to see what sticks, and then cancels even popular shows based on studio profit margins. With viewing figures being disclosed, this will all become more tricky for Mr. Bossman. When Netflix shows get observably better in the next few years, say thank you unions. Um, this is, yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is a real thing. People have observed over and over again, Netflix or whoever putting out one season of something people really, really enjoy. It gets loads of views and they know that it will be less profitable for them to make season two, three, and four than to have just got the views on that in the bank and just cancel it, right? And so they, so they do this all the time. Um, but it's possible that this WGA negotiation will actually have an effect on that going forward. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed anyway. Uh, Tim, do you want to tell us about FEMA? Okay, cool. So this is like a little bit of a, um, a different kind of news story for us. But um, <clears throat> so FEMA, um, you know, who we all know, the big uh, like American disaster response kind of, you know, Thing, uh, in coordination with uh, the what is it, the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, um, they're going to do a nationwide test of their new emergency alert system and wireless emergency alerts. So uh, that's coming uh, Wednesday in the US. And um, basically, they're going to send out, you know, like an alert message that sometimes you get on your phone where it's like, you know, warning cyclone or something like that. But um, it's going to be, a, it's a fake warning message. So it'll appear like a warning message, but it's going to go out to like everything they can, basically. Um, so yeah, there's two parts of the test. There's a WA and the EAS one. Um, so all consumer cell phones and then all cellular devices. So they can also be like tablets or anything like that that has cellular capabilities. Um, and then uh, there's the other portion, which is to like radios and televisions and things like that. So it'll be over everything. We are mentioning this because 
um, for most of you, it's just going to be like a little text going to your phone or whatever. But and this kind of this ties in with like what we were talking about the other week with um, with Maya about like if you are in an abusive relationship or some other kind of like toxic situation, it's not unusual to have an, a spare phone. And some people do this, you know, for yeah, you know, like so they have that lifeline. Other people like you know. Uh, for, for any reason, you know, you might have multiple phones. So if you do have, if you are in that situation, you do have a hidden phone or somewhere, something like that, uh, you probably need to make some kind of accounting for this because, yeah, it's a, it's allowed. It's, um, it comes out, well, they generally come out of your phone, like full volume because it's, you know, it's supposed to keep people safe or whatever. So, um, yeah. If you've got something like this, uh, yeah, it's probably best to, I don't know, go put the, phone in the car or something probably like also that. worth saying that like if you know anyone who you know has a hidden phone or you think might have a hidden phone because they're in this kind of situation it's an easy thing to miss is the the like is the news that it is that the the the, the, the this test is coming up uh, especially for someone who's in some kind of high stress situation so um might be worth the effort to go and tell them that that's coming up yeah, yeah, and um, it it is only to phones that are on and receiving within a uh, range of a cell tower, but it is so it's going to be from on Wednesday two twenty p.m. Eastern time, and the they'll broadcast the test for about thirty minutes. So there's like a thirty minute window, you know, like it might not happen at the start of it, it might you know whatever. So um, yeah, so if you if you are going to turn your phone off or do anything like that, you're going to want to keep it off for i would say keep it off for a little bit longer anyway because sometimes these things take a little bit longer um so yeah so just giving you all a little heads up on that um okay yeah cool sweet so mule uh why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened um the other day in new mexico yeah, so uh, it is not my pleasure whatsoever to bring in this news. Um, there was an indigenous protester shot by a man in a MAGA hat at a protest for a conquistador statue. Uh, the reinstallment of genocidal Spanish conquistador Juan de Onate has spurred protests in the New Mexico city of Española. On Thursday, a man in a MAGA hat opened fire on protesters and shot an indigenous protester who was then airlifted to hospital. Our thoughts with that person and uh, anyone that they uh, you know care about or cares about them honestly uh, solidarity is just such a horrible thing to have happened especially at that particular event uh, would it surprise any of our listeners or viewers to learn that the shooter drove away in a tesla uh, you know again sort of some things they match up don't they some things it's like poetry it rhymes like uh, george lucas would say uh, if he was an anti-fascist but he's not anyway um, he was later taken into custody. The statue provoking the ire of locals is no surprise as the conquistador depicted was a huge piece of shit. He ordered a massacre that killed between 800 and 1,000 Acoma indigenous people as the first colonial governor of New Mexico fascists, showing, uh, you know, exactly what they stand for right there. Um, so, you know, next time you see a MAGA hat, next time you see a Tesla, I would just say... Be very, very careful around that person. What, next Gen- time you see genuinely. any Tesla? Yeah, literally any Tesla. There's a lot of Uber drivers who get Teslas because they think that it's cool. Yeah, I know, but I would be scared of them as well, like just generally speaking, well, because if you buy a Tesla, I just think it's really You know cringe. that thing with the door handles, like you have to open them in a weird way, and it's like, this is definitely 
a design thing where they don't actually think it's like a better way to have the door handle be, but they like they just the done it because they're like, they're like this is Tesla. They don't know it, yeah, yeah. and then Point they'll the have to, they won't be able to do it, and then they'll be like, how do I do this? And then you, the Tesla owner, get to be like, oh well, actually, you have to push in here, and then it's, it's like. <laughs> It would have been funny. It would it would have been uh, quite tremendous if if the MAGA guy got in and then tried to use Tesla's self drive and it just like plowed him straight into a wall or some shit. Right. right. Um, critical right. support to comrade exploding battery. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, moving on, we have a new news story from our boy Tim. Tim, why don't you tell us about what's going on in Holland? Uh, so the Netherlands has had a huge month. Climate protests from both the left and the right. Um, yeah, so riding the roller coaster of the uh, we are so over and we are so back graph, as always. Uh, the Netherlands has seen a huge protest last month with climate movements on both the left and the right. Left wing protesters have been engaging in daily protests outside government buildings for over 20 days straight. The protesters are broadly calling for the government to do something about climate change. At the same time, Dutch farmers are protesting to demand the opposite. The Netherlands is Europe's biggest meat exporter and government moves to reduce emissions haven't offered any kind of viable transition for these peasant farmers, but rather schemes that favor a transition to massive agribusinesses. It's worth pointing out that the vast majority of the farmers' protests are not right-wing themselves, but that the protests have been co-opted by far-right political careerists like Geert Wilders, Marine Le Pen, and Donald Trump. The left-wing protests, of course, have been met by police brutality, water cannons, and mass arrests. And so this is actually very similar to what's um, been happening down here. Um, we've had a bunch of groups protesting um, climate stuff down here. And there's like, yeah, there's a left side and then there's the, um, the right side where on the right they have, um, you know, it's like they'll be blocking up streets, like driving down a parliament in these like giant tractors and trucks and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, the police will be down there shaking their hands and patting them on the back and all this kind of stuff. And then, um, you know, it's like a bunch of lefty teenage climate protesters will stand in the middle of the intersection and, you know, people will be like, why why do yeah. you hate society <laughs> like what is local hero you? applauded for uh for bashing loony lefty woke climate uh nonce to death in the street after he stopped yeah. land rovers from being able to get what they wanted there have been a couple of videos like that right like not from down here but i've seen a couple of them where it's like like absolutely wild like people are like oh what you held up traffic that was like a um a metro like the the free newspaper they put into all of the london underground and it's like on on every tube in every carriage and there was a front page that was like hero takes on woke mob or something with a picture of a guy dragging someone um i don't know it's interesting like this um these farmers aren't right wing and it can also be compared to what's been happening in france with the soulevement de la terre because france has so many peasant farmers and so there's a there is some class consciousness and there's some like awareness of like the need for direct action to fight agribusiness and i'm curious if if we watch these farmers in holland whether we will see actually left-wing uh protest emerge out of the same protests that are currently being like claimed by the right wing because yeah. it's very fringe the the right wing involvement and yeah. like I think maybe it's possible that like the farmers will see that the like there is a pathway for, like to get to a place where they get to keep on living, keep their land, keep their families together and all of this stuff. 
but that that pathway is not through like asking the government to do things differently. Yeah. I mean, we, we saw a gigantic left wing farmers movement in India the other year, right? Like that was like, you know, and like the organizers of that were like yeah. explicitly communist, you know, Marxist communists, um, yeah. you know, and it was like, and that was, that was like one of the biggest protests that the world has ever seen and really effective yeah. as well. Whereas um, down here, it is a little bit different. The problems with our farming industry are very class-based and very obviously tied to the ongoing sort of like colonial project down here. So a lot of the people protesting are farm owners versus farm workers and uh, most of the big farms in New Zealand are owned by people that, you know, it's like these very like intergenerational kind of farming dynasties. And a lot of them kind of work together either directly for or sell to a giant company called Fonterra that kind of brands itself as a co-op, but it's actually like a big monopoly sort of thing. I remember the last time there was when all the tractors and trucks were going down, there was like a guy that I tattooed that came in and he was like, oh yeah, my boss said that he had to take my truck down to the protest. So he just paid for me to have a week off. <laughs> and he just like came in and got He took tattooed. his truck so he could look more like a farmer. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like different stuff like that. But also you like you look at the the you look at the trucks and even the tractors and they're like these brand new, gigantic, like very expensive tractors and stuff. For sale, protest tractor, never plowed. Yeah, yeah. Like for Aotearoa specifically, the the way through this is that we have to radically reform our farming industry, our agricultural industry away from the kind of farms that these people run. And a lot of them, they're very attached to, you know, being dairy farmers and, you know, like large kind of meat farmers. And it's just like, that's not, yeah, that's not the no, future. It's no, it's not a viable part of the future. Yeah. Like, but the, um, I mean, that's the, this is, this is the, more of the eternal stinky like the, the the eternal stinky character of the dutch is just like as Europe, europe's largest meat exporter it wasn't enough they invented capitalism now they're like fucking no we're not gonna stop we're not we we love cows we we, we don't want to let go of them um i don't know i think it is but i think it's really worth being like explicitly cautious and fair towards the towards peasant farmers who are like actually just doing their best and it, it's their like it's the industry they're in. It's the it's the livelihood they've always had. And then also picking them exactly like you're saying, like very carefully picking them apart from the guy who shows up in like the 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 quilted jerkin and the flat cap with the brand new tr- like tractor with not a scratch on it, and is like, I am a farmer and I care about the I don't want these crazy climate restrictions. And it's like, nah, you're you're a lord of somewhere actually. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's true. Like, you'll see these dudes and they'll be, like, interviewed in the newspapers or on the TV and stuff, and they'll be wearing gumboots and, like, a swan dryer from hunting and fishing. And then it's like, you just Google them, you find their LinkedIn page, and they're, like, doing Zoom meetings <laughs> in front of an infinity pool and shit like that. And it's like, all right, okay, okay, buddy. Yeah. Not that you can't own gumboots and an infinity pool, but, <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's like that, that definitely makes you a different kind of farmer. It'd be very interesting, like I say, to see in a few years, we might see like some of the same exact like students and teens and young leftist radicals who are doing like the urban protests trying to demand better from the government right now. And some of the farmers who are trying to ask for their livelihoods not to be threatened, probably on the same in the same protests down the line. Yeah. But um, anyway, why don't, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of good news, so? 
Oh, yeah, sure. I've titled this story, Sophie Gives Herself Funny and Happy News Only This Week Because She's Not Doing Well. Uh, a real estate development convention in Barcelona called The District was disrupted by tenants union activists uh, protesting the displacement of long-term renters by corporate development projects. So this is a, a video that made the rounds on social media this week. Uh, as you can see, this uh, this beanpole in the suit tries to kick a woman and then uh, this like kind of squat dude who's like the I've, I've just been thinking of him as the the bear protester uh, does the like and what gesture at him and then like a ton of more protesters just like swarm the dude and uh, cover him in, in paint uh, and then the cops come in to protect him. I feel like it's like this like his outfit and everything is like like it's so on the nose you know like if you put that in a TV show that'd be like oh that's a bit you know a bit obvious. Remember when I was telling you before the show um, that, like, one of my friends was saying that you can, like, smell the Tories now that they're in Manchester. Like, they all look like yeah. that. Like literally. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, someone someone underneath, I think, zoomed in and showed that he's wearing, like, loafers with no socks, um, which is just tr- tremendous. Like, that's just, of, of course he is. Um, but, you know, it's going to get more on the nose. Uh, the protesters ambushed one real estate speculator in a video now popular on social media. The speculator, Robin Ducot, is, re- is well known for engaging in land spe- speculation using NFTs in a method where he seemingly doesn't even put in his own investment money while making bank on the sale of digital tokens to other speculators and developers. To be clear about the harms of this, like the land still gets bought up, speculated and developed. But Duco gets to just uh, fucking walk away with money that came out of thin fucking air. Um, <laughs> Mr. Duco, however, wasn't the only attendee ambushed with paint. Protesters got practically every other speculator, developer, and money person they could possibly get their hands on. Uh, this is the second protest of this kind outside the annual conference. Joanna or Juana... Uh, I don't know if it's sales or sales because it's uh, in Spain, but a uh, spokeswoman for the Raval Union said that in political terms, it is essential to point out that the call cannot be de- directed towards the bad practices of investment funds or the need for the state to stop them and act as a regulator. On the contrary, we consider the state to be a necessary agent for investment funds to carry out their practices, which increasingly define their class component. In other words, we cannot be satisfied with mobilization. We must confront the common sense with which we have been working since the social movements as a so, as a mobilizing leg that organizes to channel their demands towards the institutions uh so you know uh more power to the uh to the renter protesters in barcelona and um one to keep an eye on because hell yeah uh rent strike everywhere but um mule you've got some stinky bad news for us oh yeah oh yeah this this shit sucks get ready everyone strap in strap on and strap out. I don't know what that last one is. Um, but yeah, this is about, uh, the NHS. Um, it's, it's unfortunately not good news at all. Most of the time when we mention the NHS, uh, at the minute. Uh, but this is about Palantir. Yes. I bet you never thought you'd hear those two companies in the same sentence. Well, now you have capitalism bringing you the worst thing that you could possibly imagine. Um, notorious spy tech company. Uh, Palantir has been competing for a very lucrative NHS contract. Palantir is owned by uh, Donald Trump donor billionaire Peter Thiel and has secured five NHS deals without tender and is expected to win a 480 million contract to build an NHS federated data platform. Yay, great. I'm so happy that my data that's been in the NHS 
since I was literally born will be available to the fucks at Palantir. Um, Theo, it's uh, the- when I was when I was coming into like uh, my first year of engineering at university. There's a lot of talk about big uh, big data being the next big profitable thing and it's been on my mind ever since and it's a thing that we should just always bear in mind is the ways that like big data can well the thing is it can be sold very easily it can't be manipulated quite as easily but some like sinister fox like palantir definitely mm. definitely have the investment in surveilling people that they that they will but like mm. um it's like what a what is a more like uh juicy potentially profitable like database than nhs records yeah yeah, I do just want to point out as well that like it's it's apparently news to some people that uh, Palantir, the company that basically spies on everyone and, and gets all their data and controls it all. Yes, that company is named after the magic ball that the evil wizards have in yeah. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. that's literally the how everyone knows it is. Connection to the Eye of Sauron shit. Yeah. Like there's only a few of them and they're all evil and you have one too long and you become evil as well. Yeah. It's and... the thing that made Saruman bad. Saruman was good, and he had a Palantir. And he and contemplated his orb too hard. He did! And he became Saruman the white supremacist. That's right. Um, and that's exactly what happened to Peter Thiel as well. Yep, exactly. He looked too much. Oh, and if people remember this, but it could it could be that just too many ridiculous Trump things happened since this, but it was like fairly early in Trump's presidency, he took a picture with one of the Sauds, yeah, Saudi Saudi Arabian prince, I think. Yeah, they were literally all touching like a glowing globe, like lit from underneath in a room full of other dudes, all like looking down on the globe. And like, it was the most villain ass looking picture you've ever seen. And also the reason they were there was literally to pitch and sell Palantir to yeah. those guys so they could spy on on uh, feminist activists who are trying to like get right, rights for women. Yeah. It's so wild because it's like, you know how, like, the right will take, like, any tiny little thing. They'll be like, here's a picture of Lady Gaga doing this. This is obviously uh, an evil conspiracy. <laughs> it's like the actual evil people are just, like, contemplating their orbs. And Literally. Like, in public. Know. They don't care. They don't hide it. They put that shit in the papers. Yeah. They're like, these are the people that will save us from Lady Gaga. <laughs> If I contemplated my orbs for like two minutes, you know, it would definitely be in the Daily Mail. And these guys can yeah, just yeah. do it. Yeah, so uh, basically, uh, Thiel, the big money man uh, for Trump's Make America Great Again campaign, founded Palantir in 2003 with funding from the CIA-controlled firm InQtel. The firm's clients include the U.S. Army, which uses its surveilling software to conduct drone strikes. Various parties, including MPs and legal campaigners, have made calls for parliamentary scrutiny and investigation into NHS contracts with Palantir. Emails obtained by Open Democracy suggest that US spy tech firm Palantir, who was favoured for multi-million pound NHS contract months before it was signed. So, uh, sorry, just to read that properly. Um, the emails obtained by Open Democracy suggest that Palantir basically was already the, the favourite candidate for the contracts. Joe Moham, uh, who uh, made an appearance on our uh, Red Planet stream for Trans Power last year, worth calling worth calling Joe a comrade of the show because I think it would make him squirm a little bit to be called anyone's comrade. Yeah, you, he is a comrade of the show. He's definitely my comrade, uh, comrade Joe. 
You're doing great work. Uh, director of Good Law Project told Open Democracy, it's widely believed that Palantir is being lined up for this hugely valuable NHS data contract, despite concerns over what it will do with patient data. That is the main concern about this news piece, uh, listeners and comrades at home. Uh, these emails support those concerns. Palantir officially signed a 23.5 million deal on 11th of December 2020 to operate a full-scale data store of NHS patient information, building on work carried out in the pandemic. More than two months earlier, on the 5th of October 2020, an official from NHS England and NHS Improvements sent an email to the Health Services Chief Data and Analytics Officer Ming Tang with the subject line, Update Finances for Data Platform Project. The email provided detailed information on how NHS England could structure a budget for the project and appears to refer to Palantir as the recipient of the funding, stating at one point this uh, provides a total of six, sorry, 26 million for Palantir higher than our previous ask of 24 million. She also said of the proposed budget, I won't send him yet, we'll share screen instead. The name of the person she's referring to is redacted throughout the documents Open Democracy has seen, and it is unclear what their role is and which organization they work for. So that is like um, that thing, the will share screen instead is like a little thing um, or just point out that people do. So like if she had shared the budget, if she put it in an email, that's like something that is, you know, that can be um, that can be brought up at court. There's like a written record, everything like that. So when when she's saying I will share screen instead, that's like a thing that a lot of people do when they're like, you know, it's like the same as being like, um, you know, like. I don't want to, I don't want to say a number, but I'm going to like write something down on a piece of paper and I'm going to show it to you and then I'm going to delete it, you know, and then I'm going to yeah. throw it away or something Literally. like that. You know, it's like this way of being like, you know, like this is, this is what we're going to give you, but we're technically not allowed to say that yet. Um, and, and definitely shows that there is like, you know, like the relationship between these groups is is pretty sus. <laughs> it's dodgy. It's dodgy as hell. Uh, NHS England has denied wrongdoing, stating they sought clarifications from potential suppliers as part of financial planning and decision making. I do just want to, at this point, point out to anyone who's listening, especially those who aren't in the UK, who are probably thinking like, wait a minute, I thought the NHS were good. Well, the the idea of the NHS is very good in that everybody should get healthcare um, but as our transgender comrades know, as our disabled comrades know, it doesn't quite work that way when the people who are in charge are despicable pieces of shit. And those people who have been put in charge of NHS England at the moment are basically Tory donors. There's a bunch of cronyism going on, uh, ex-Tory councillors, Tory donors... Um, they are basically running the project into the ground. This is just a personal anecdote. Um, so, you know, don't take this uh, to court or whatever. I don't know. You can't legally attack me for this. Uh, do not destroy. Do not steal original information. If you say you can't legally attack me for this, then people can't, can't legally attack. It is actually how it works. It's the, it's the law. You can't legally attack me for this. Um, uh, so one of my friends um, is, uh, well, has been a psychiatric nurse in the NHS and has repeatedly been in job after job after job where she said the worst thing about the job was the guy in charge who was definitely a fucking massive Tory. And she doesn't even like, do you know what I mean? She doesn't even go that deep into politics, but this is like one of my good friends and it's le legitimately, 
like the case. Anyway, I just wanted to drop that in so that people understand the state of the NHS. They're desperately trying to privatize it. The, the Tories are so desperate to privatize it that they, they will desperately do this. Like that's going to be like the last thing they try and do in office. But even if Labour get in, Wes Streeting, our favorite boy, he's all over that shit. He loves the idea of privatizing the NHS. So, uh, everyone's yeah, favorite bit... square lad. Yeah, he is such a blocky fella. They should have called him Steve from Minecraft. And... Imagine being second place in everything right behind Keir Starmer. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, moving on. Uh, the last bit of this story, because it is uh, rather a lot, but I think it's important that we um, report on this so that our listeners and viewers know uh, just how fucked the uh, people who operate behind the scenes, the, the massive billionaires, are and uh, what they're doing uh, with our information. Speaking at Oxford Uni- University in January, Mr. Thiel went off script. The NHS makes people sick and should embrace privatization, he said in response to a question. The British public's support for the service, he said, was Stockholm Syndrome. Well, Peter Thiel, um, no, I'm not going to say it. Redacted. Uh, named after seeing the stories in J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Oh, this was actually in. Someone wrote this for me, the thing that I said before, but I'll say it again just to respect the person who wrote this. I really appreciate you doing that. Uh, named after the seeing stones in J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, Palantir, founded in 2003, originally marketed its technology as a tool for tracking terrorists and criminals, including, according to news reports it has published, Osama Bin Laden. Its software collects data from myriad inputs, including internet traffic and cell phone records, and can integrate feeds from almost any source a client has access to. There are further concerns about the usefulness of Palantir software, with 11 hospital trusts either pausing or suspending trials of the company's foundry database. Crider said, I don't know who Crider is, but Crider, whoever that is, uh, said several real-life pilots of Palantir software at hospitals appear to have failed. We've called I on love Palantir when you roast the notes, Mule. It's just so funny. <laughs> I, it's not a roast. I just don't know who that is. And someone who's written this for me, I'm just the news anchor. I've been doing protest stuff. Anyway, uh, you can't legally attack me for getting names wrong or not knowing who people are. That's how the law I'm works. Su- I'm suing you for not knowing who Crider is, Mule. Please don't. Please don't. You can't do that. I said that you can't legally do that. Um... We've called on Parliament to investigate the deal and get to the bottom of the failed pilots before it's too late. Uh, well, this this uh, host thinks it's probably already too late. Uh, concerns have been raised about the relationship between several current and former MPs, Palantir, and the Global Council organization, a firm contracted to provide strategic advice to Palantir in regards to UK government contracts. Former Health Minister Nicola Blackwood and former, former Deputy Chief Executive of the NHS, Matthew Swindles, in particular. There is that cronyism again. Chat. Well... We made it through the nose, and I really appreciate you all being very patient. Um, at this point, it would be remiss of me to not mention that uh, it's uh, really, really important that you give us money. Like, you should give us money. Um, our show can't be made without your money, uh, and it's uh, all on our Patreon. You can get our Patreon. It's very, very good. There are lots of different options. We're not going to talk about them all right now. Uh, but we are trying to get to the point on our Patreon where we can regularly hire an editor, um, which will take a, a whole load of work off Conrad, which will just make the show even better. Uh, and I can't wait for that personally. So please, please, please consider becoming a Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash red underscore planet and give us your dough immediately. But there you go. we have 
uh, an incredible show uh, in store for you today. Uh, Sophie, are you doing the intro, a little intro? I didn't write an intro. That's um, okay. Uh, noblest of all the dogs is the hot dog because it uh, feeds the hand that bites it. Uh, joined by Alice Cobalt Kelly to talk to us about uh, deleting Shinzo Abe. Alice, why did you dele- delete Shinzo Abe <laughs> from the timeline? Hi, it's nice to be here. Um, I think it was the right thing to do. Uh, yeah, uh, to conduct the most politically successful assassination of the 21st century to date, uh, in order to uh, sort of uh, destroy the Unification Church, which is a weird parasitic mm. cult. Mm, okay, have you considered that the Moonies might have been just a bunch of nice people who were trying to do nice things? You know, that's a good point, actually. And you know what? I, I'm willing to reverse myself 100% on this and sort of like hand myself into Japanese police. Okay. Uh, Thank you for that. <laughs> I'm going to reload from an earlier save. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. character's death, the thread of fate has been severed. <laughs> uh, welcome back to the show, Alice. Um, yeah. So, pleasure. yeah, we're, we're talking about 3D printed weaponry today. I think it's been an episode we wanted to mm. wanted to look at for a while. Um, there's uh, various stuff to cover Um I think that maybe an interesting place to start would be some of the uh, broad strokes of the history of the 3D printed guns, uh, because um, we'll broadly be tackling ideas that people have about how 3D printed guns are going to be affecting politics, and especially like where those ideas have gone since the since the Shinzo Abe assassination. Because sure. I think a lot of people will think, okay, now now it's just around the corner. Any moment now, everyone's busting out the the hot pink automatic rifles that they made in their in their girlfriend's basement well i mean so, so, some people will be but uh i i think i'm much more pessimistic about this i think it's going to be the people you least want to see do it um well but i um <laughs> yeah, oh wow that's so great <laughs> love this yeah i'll just i'll just go over a couple of notes um quickly Please, but, yeah. Um, so for those who aren't aware, a lot of what's worth tracking is the development of the FGC-9, uh, which is, um, in many senses, the, the most, um, viable gun that people are talking about when they're talking about 3D printed weapons. It's the most broadly used and adopted design. The FGC-9 stands for Fuck Gun Control and 9mm. It's a 3D printable semi-automatic pistol caliber carbine, and it was designed by a German Kurdish designer called Jstark. Uh, yeah, R.I.P. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a, a, a guy who decided that he could build guns in his house uh, without mm. the police taking an interest, and then when they did, uh, had such a hard time about it that he died of his own accord. He just died. Mm. He just voluntarily died when that happened. I mean, it's a, it's a yeah. Imagine a sort of like German man in his like fifties mm. or sixties just having a heart attack under the slightest stress. Just veins <laughs> that have been pushing sauerkraut and sausage around for like you know decades, finally withering closed. Jesus Christ. Um, so I don't like the guy, which I, I will get into, right? Because I think we have a sort of a philosophical difference about three D printed weapons. I love when people assume my philosophical positions on things. Um, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so the the kind of position that a lot of people who are t- one way or another advocates of three D printed weaponry um, uh, take is the idea of deterrence uh, dispersed. That's literally the name of the collective that designs and publishes them. Um, and the idea is a is a is a quite like American right to a libertarian stance that. Uh, mm if everyone has a gun, no one will, and then everything will be fine. Um, I mean, not really. Like, the more detailed picture of this is, you know, if you have 
some kind of tyrannical use of of force going on and um the the various groups and communities and people who would be exploited and controlled by this could arm themselves um without using um registered weapons trade uh then they can yeah then they can resist that kind of control and and exploitation um but i'm, I'm outlining their position uh to be clear sure. here because i think i yes. think that alice thinks that this is my position and i i'm <laughs> trying to distinguish <laughs> I, I'll, I'll get into I'll get into the liberator at some point in the course of this, and that's really going to sort yeah. of like be where you see that uh, position <laughs> advocated the most sort of like explicitly. So Jay Stark was very was a was a somewhat mysterious individual up until his death, because Jay Stark existed in his public but pseudonymous persona. Most of his commentary was while he was anonymous, and not loads more has come out like since his identity was uh, mm. discovered by the police. Um, but it is of note, I think, that he's uh, he was German Kurdish, and like a lot of the thought to do with, uh, with to do with the distribution of three D printed weapons has to do with people fighting for sovereignty and independence. Um, and then one the the biggest uh, real life example that people can point to at the moment of the use of three D printed weaponry in a military conflict in the 21st century is the Myanmar rebels against the military hunter there in Myanmar. This is a, an interesting case study because uh, where, again, insurrectionary groups like this in the past would have had to rely on people smuggling weapons in, those weapons would have been produced at some point in factories that states do know about. Um, in many senses, it, it's, it's arguably easier to uh, trace what's going on there and shut it down. Uh, now they only have to rely, or almost only have to rely on uh, access to a 3D printer. And this is something that people have seen the uh, Myanmar rebels with like um, 3D printers in their like makeshift, makeshift like bases and on the, you know, in, in the back of a truck or whatever, so they can like fix and repair and exchange stuff on the fly. Um, it, it does create a certain amount of dispersal that, that I'd say is measurable. Um but this is um, this is the point where I'm I'm kind of done with my summary notes. I, I just wanted to get get us to this point. Um, mm. I, I sense that you're like rearing to go to to tear down this because you <laughs> you're very yeah. opposed to happy to just talk for like two two to three hours. Uh, so I, I the first oh, thing sick. I, I, I was going to say... the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect. I think the first thing to say is that like uh, improvised firearms, home-built, craft-built firearms are not new, right? They've existed as long as firearms have. In fact, that's what the first ones were. Uh, and if you look at like um, any number of like uh, police accounts that like post guns that they've seized, uh, Brazilian police are always good for this, but Toronto police do this as well. They'll do like an off-the-streets-this-week thing, and what is off-the-streets-this-week is something that has been made out of a length of plumbing pipe with a nail at the end of it welded onto it. It looks like Fallout 3, essentially. Um, so where people want to obtain firearms, they are broadly gonna be able to um and i think there was this understanding on the sort of like even more lunatic fringes of the american sort of like libertarian right that as soon as people had a button they could push that was like push button receive gun they would then sort of like rise up and the next step would be you know anarchy brackets the, um... positive the the libertarian equivalent to the idea that just like if we if we if we just distribute enough newspapers then everyone will be a Trotskyist yes. like me yeah um, absolutely if, if we just distribute enough guns everyone will be a libertarian like me exactly exactly right and I, I think the thing the the stumbling block in large part has been 
a failure to realize that particularly in Europe, a lot of gun control exists with serious, genuine popular support, that people like living in a largely disarmed society, for better or worse, um, and not wanting to sort of recognize that or to live within it. No, I was just getting into my into my uh, girly half clothes, half pajamas the other day, and going down to the to the stupid coffee shop where I got my uh, whipped cream, extra skinny soy bullshit thing. Mm. And I was thinking, wow, it's wonderful yeah. to just be in a uh, just be an adult baby in a society of adult babies. This is wonderful. <laughs> I love the urban built environment. Thank you yeah. so much, modernism. But the the problem is, if you move to the United States, you can be an adult baby in a society of adult babies, but you know, armed. And a lot of people find that more stressful. <laughs> um, yeah, I um, it's definitely something I have noticed. Like uh, New Zealand, Aotearoa is a very like, I guess, an unarmed uh, country. Same with um, Australia, and I mean the the two countries that I've spent the most time in. And um, there's in general people like whenever there is like an issue around guns or like. When there was a Christchurch shooting and um, the government kind of tightened gun restrictions, like the overwhelming majority of people, and the same thing happened in Australia when they had a mass shooting a bunch of years ago. A lot of people were just like, yeah, actually, yeah, sweet, cool. We don't, you know, we don't really need these guns for anything. It was only like the really fringe kind of weirdos that, um, you know, and these are like the very, like the same people, like the right-wing libertarian Facebook commenters and stuff like that, that, um, that, you know, really kicked up a fuss. Like I've got, yeah, my brother and dad, they all had guns that they were like, yeah, no, we'll hand in these ones. We don't really use them or whatever. And actually I think, um, they found it kind of profitable as well. Like the gun buyback program was some kind of in the favor of the people handing them in. Even in the UK, like our, our firearms legislation was much more liberal than people imagine up until uh, like 2000, where we had a couple of mass shootings in a row. Uh, and it was just sort of like, again, unilaterally uh, sort of like decided to ban handguns, pistols outright, and then uh, just like make... Uh, rifles in particular and certain kinds of shotguns much more difficult to get and again it was it was like very very broadly supported and since then the call has generally been for like more gun control rather than less uh in in sort of response to you know whichever chud has been able to get a shotgun license um and and sort of like conduct a mass shooting as happened in in plymouth a few years ago yeah i, I think the sort of the political and the like class characteristics of gun ownership and gun use in this context it's it skews so so rightward um and there are a few reasons for that but like i i do want to mention the liberator here and the liberator is sort of like it was it, it got all of the big press about 3d printed firearms it was like the first one it was the first practical one um there's a little like plastic pistol you may remember it uh it looks like absolute shit yeah it looks like if elon musk designed a pistol yeah <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. The cyber gun. Yeah, the Liberator was named for uh, a, a pistol of the same name that was designed along similar lines. And the idea was it was a it was a product of the OSS uh, in World War II that the Americans were going to make you know millions of these guns, these little tiny pistols that were only intended to fire like one shot, uh, mm. and then just drop them over Europe. And the idea was okay, well now anyone can be a resistance fighter because. You just find your nearest Nazi, 
take your sort of like uh, stamped metal pistol that you got off of a yeah. plane, shoot shoot him in the back of the head, take his gun. Now you have his gun, and now you're a resistance fighter. And this <laughs> just did not work at all. Um, but the the dream never died, right? Is the thing. And so uh, on the sort of libertarian right, that's still the idea. You know, that's why the liberator. That's why the FGC nine. Uh, is you know the the Burma stuff that's you know it's it's nice but it's a happy little accident. I think the the contention is uh, or the idea is that like uh, once Europeans are all armed, they will all go and you know fight the government, fight the police, fight the army, and then they will stop. No, being I can't soy. imagine a, a worse thing than arming all Europeans. Um, I don't think that Myanmar <laughs> like the, the, the this is the place where I'd say there there is a difference because I I do think that we um counter to your expectations coming in with the boxing gloves on um like I I broadly agree with your positions to do with what's going on in the imperial core because like people do like living in a society where uh it's not normal for there to be loads of mass shootings all the time I think that it's it's just obviously places uh that are much more unstable and much more at the fringe where we're going to see uh like the flourishing of 3D printed weaponry and like only if um only if countries that are currently the imperial core descend into like um civil war or like um martial law or or shit like this is the, is the case that we'll really see them um in in our own context i think that they are intended to precipitate that i think that's the fantasy um and particularly uh if you look at the sort of people who are big into 3d printing uh they're very much like of a generation and of a milieu within the sort of libertarian movement that sort of like uh you remember the boogaloo guys the guys who are like american civil war ii are gonna wear hawaiian shirts (laughs) everywhere I, f- I find myself once again distinguishing from what I what I believe and what the libertarians believe. Yes, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I do, you but find like, myself in this position, but yeah, like I, I do think you're right about that being the intention, but I don't think that is what's going to happen. I think it's sort of like been unsuccessful for a number of reasons, just related to uh, like the inherent technical quality of firearms themselves. Like, it's uh, where are you going to source the ammunition? Uh, how are you going to sort of like obtain that? How are you going to print the thing clandestinely? Uh, and these are all things that are like, you know, in some senses easier to do in a pickup truck in a jungle than they are in like a warehouse in like, you know, Rotterdam or whatever. Uh, and increasingly with the FGC9, what you're seeing is uh, it's something that's being set up and printed as a kind of like criminal startup as like an organized crime thing that you can make yourself a sort of like gun middleman and then sell these like supposedly you know uh, libertarian equalizing uh, little carbines on for like two or three thousand dollars on like a telegram chat already fully assembled and this was the like the the two or three instances that the um the met police have shut down so far i think one of them was ideologically motivated and again we're in agreement like they they were they were nazis um (laughs) but the other couple were trying to set up factories and trying to sell them on to whoever would like a gun in the uk and to be clear at this point like 3% 3% Nazis, 97% organized crime. But the problem is that there's already like sort of no demand because if you are an organized criminal, you can obtain a real firearm, like maybe not yeah. of the highest quality necessarily, but you can get one yourself. Um, and that's what you see mostly being used. We'll get to it in a minute, but like I, I think that the, you know, Shinzo Abe deleted teaches us if, if you can go to Bed Bath and Beyond, you can also obtain 
a, a firearm of some kind of quality. I have some mixed feelings about this, right? Because uh, Shinzo Abe was killed with what I guess you might call like a craft-produced firearm. Uh, where this guy who may as well have been the fucking Riddler, right, was able to build this like electrically triggered or two electrically triggered firearms just on his own. He he truly was the Riddler to uh, Shinzo Abe's the Batman. He was trained in in Navy programs that Shinzo Abe reinstated. So that's right. The sort of like do, does he know? I learned thing. it by yeah. watching you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but th- there is an antecedent to, to 3d printed firearms here um there was a guy called i want to say frederick Luty, right uh, and he was sort of like this I, I, sort of like a bit like jay stark a bit kind of like ostensibly not too political but definitely like crank coded guy uh whose passion in life was exigent improvised firearms and the manufacturing thereof um and so he designed this this submachine gun, the Luti submachine gun, which is made out of plumbing parts and like stamped steel. You're supposed to be able to like build it in a shed, right? Um, but it requires a familiarity with those things that this guy had that most people don't. Um, and so that's been the real sea change between 3D printed firearms and your just typical like improvised or like uh, craft built firearms is that. You don't need necessarily to know how to use a pair of pliers and like a rasp and shit like this guy did. Uh, this Lucy submachine gun, one of those was used in, guess what, another far-right terrorist attack in, in Halle in Germany. Um, and the sort of like would-be mass shooter uh, tried to shoot at the cops with it and it jammed every time he fired it because he didn't know how yeah. to build it. He's he's like on a live stream because he was trying to live stream this, going, "Yeah, this thing is fucking shit. I shouldn't have brought it. I shouldn't have done this. Um, <laughs> as I think so, it's, it's yeah. very, very typical of like my experience in the uh, community of people who 3D print stuff in general, uh, as opposed to mm. firearms, that like the guy who was making uh, content and videos and doing interviews who designed the thing is like, yeah, it makes complete sense. It works flawlessly. It just never jams. <laughs> and then everyone who like downloads it and reads his instructions and tries to make it themselves like, I can't fire a single bullet. Yes. Yeah. I, I think that's something that you see with 3D printed firearms as well. But to a lesser extent. It's easier than it had been if you were trying to make them out of plumbing parts and sort of like rifling it yourself or whatever. Um, that is another thing about like 3D printed weapons, like where where are you getting the fucking bullets from? Having lived in Gunchester for like my entire fucking life, you know, I've seen a fucking gun like in real life twice and it is like, oh, okay, people just have guns here. Right, okay, got you. Um, and it's, it is it is just one of those things like, yeah, people, people are going to have guns, they're just going to have guns. But I just wanted to bring that up because that is one of the most sort of like interesting parts of the like the 3D printed gun thing because that was the first thing that came to my head. Like, where do you get the bullets from? Mm-hmm. But you don't. Like, if yeah, you, 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 don't is, have... yeah, you, you, you sort of do, do some home chemistry to try and like uh, manufacture your own gunpowder. You end up storing a lot of your own piss, for instance. <laughs> Or you you try and like convert yeah. like blank firing cartridges, and again it doesn't. I feel like if really I steal man or libertarians like... at any point in this, Alice is going to try and pounce on me. But like, um, <laughs> I I do feel like it's worth it's worth simply pointing out that like the manufacture of a bullet is, um, or rather many many bullets is is easier than the manufacture of a of a gun uh, until the advent of three D printers. You were telling us about the the, the lineage of the looty to the shooty to the shooty eighty yes. nine to the FGC nine, right? Did we mention the shooty already earlier? But it, it, it's we did not. But it's S H U T Y after Luty yes. L U T Y. 
it's sort of like the plastic version of sane essentially in concept because all of this has been like one long ideological project right which is arm everyone and then libertarianism and so you know that it's it's proceeded along those lines and it's been sort of like um incrementalized from you know stuff like the lucy to the fc9 which is at time of recording like the current state of the art right um and i mean it, it works by all accounts uh it's kind of a a bit of a novelty if you can get like a an actually mass produced firearm and the ammunition is still a concern but like it it turns up in places um and i mean i'm not a fan for a number of reasons right but it is something with which you have to contend now i guess um as a yeah. sort of like challenge to the state and the state's monopoly on violence to be honest i don't rate it i think it's the notion of the challenge to to the state's monopoly on violence that we're going to find ourselves circling around until we confront but like the reason that it all skews so right-wing like gun culture uh uh especially throughout imperial core countries but most obviously america um is like well the rights culture is so much about exerting will and uh yes. creating like a people a way to exert a people's will uh that 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 is in you know in in hard like hard uh pulsing throbbing veiny masculine terms and like the the gun is the most obvious answer to that because like point it at someone and tell them to do what mm. you want but it's it's a force multiplier but i i should say like right. in mm. terms of design in terms of conception right you know the liberator is designed for like the ambush killings of police right and the fgc9 is like designed essentially for mass shootings right and on the left like in my experience significantly less appetite for either of those two things than on the right um it's like not that the left is necessarily like you know we're all horrified at the prospect of violence but both you know sort of like time and manner and place and method and like targets of that violence are all like there's such a it doesn't begin to compare right like there's there is no comparison between these things because you have a right wing that is like incipiently genocidal and then you have a left wing that thinks that you know uh i mean you can have a, a guy in a monk outfit shove a police officer over that's you know and that's violent right that's violence <laughs> in pursuit of a political end right uh, i think, I think it's, that it's might be a point where we're getting day. like twisted around over like who the left is mm. and which parts of the left matter politically in this discussion of action and like you know i mean sure. uh among well, people I... who i know have an appetite to actually do anything i think like for example when you're saying like the ambush killing of police police officers like there's mm. a lot of people who are very very angry at police officers and like mm. bash are more like mad the police officers don't agree with them than like uh i don't agree than, I th I think you see a lot of sort of like very violent far right action against police, mm -hmm. uh, and it's it's sort of I think there is uh, an institutional far right critique, if you want to call it that, of the police that depends more on them not doing what they're saying. Uh, I mean, whether that's sort of like sovereign citizens or whether that's you know you look at like January sixth or whatever. There's a ton of stuff. You know, they're they're perfectly willing to to use violence against police. Sure. Yeah, I think there's often that thing where it's like we they're not like against the concept of police in the same, in the way that leftists are, mm. but it's like we want to be the police. Like mm. we should be, the, you know, we should be. The yeah, guys. that's kind we of should the, have that, yeah. You know? yeah. 
Know, you, can, you can get into this real sort of like insurgent mindset and that's exactly where yeah. all of the boogaloo guys were you know yeah, yeah uh, and to be honest like yeah. I, you know maybe maybe i'm not uh friends with the the you know the people i should be but like i don't see that on the left and to be honest i'm kind of glad because the thing is right if if you sort of envision uh like a, a left that is comfortable with violence right and a left that is comfortable with armed violence there have been periods in like different uh sort of like left movements throughout history where that's been the case right i don't see any of those like coming to bear in the imperial core for a long time hence like i don't think the 70s are coming back i i don't think that you're getting the like red army faction again yeah, and I think this is this is like parts of what I wanted to um to to steer us towards is to do with like the state's monopoly on violence and approaches to insurrection that are uh trying to get the people's will to be stronger than the state's will um to to overcome that monopoly on violence and uh then and that's just broadly a right wing one because like creating that monopoly on violence is a right wing approach uh, whereas like the Bolsheviks got the you know monopoly on 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 military power when the military became class conscious, uh, deposed like uh, arrested yeah, all that's of their exactly officers it. and and sailed a warship into Saint Petersburg and said, "Hey, we're looking for comrades." Like, yeah, this is uh, the there, um, there is there is no individual firearm that's as useful a weapon to any possible left movement as solidarity yeah. would be, uh, because in those moments, firearms have a way of like accruing to it anyway. But like, mm-hmm. if you compare it to like the sort of uh previous like the only things you could legitimately call like left-wing terrorist groups right there's almost always like a state sponsor there whether it's like gaddafi just like fucking around doing his like agent of chaos thing or whether it's the (laughs) soviet union sometimes or whatever there's like some network r.i.p to a joker five king (laughs) exactly Tying into what we were talking about with um, Nick the other week, um, Nick Estes, um, a, a good book that I would recommend a lot of people, particularly in like North America, to read about this would be, um, was it, can you ever remember if it's The Pathology of Pacifism or Pacifism as Pathology by um, by Ward Churchill? He's like a Native American guy. He was tied in with the American Indian movement that we were talking a lot about with Nick. Wasn't wasn't he the guy who wasn't a Native American or Churchill? Yeah, so his um there was like a like there were criticism of critics of him saying that he was like a pretendian or whatever like that. But um mm. like I know people that know him and they're like, no, like the tribe supports him and always does. But I don't know, it's kind of like a thing that you kind of have to contend with, I guess, as being like um especially in academia as like a you know as an indigenous person or whatever is that like one day maybe another indigenous person might come up and be like you're not indian enough or whatever like that but um yeah i've heard both sides but like in regards to the book it doesn't really make too much of a difference um sure but um yeah so uh no but it's it's good it like it, it kind of talks about um you know, the way that the right has this kind of monopoly on, you know, like, I guess, like, gun culture and, uh, you know, and I guess just, like, violent protests, violent resistance, all that kind of thing. Um, but it, it's really good, and I think, like, there's, like, this huge case that he also brings up. This is just as a side note, we'll get back to the thing, is that even if you, if you don't like guns, if you don't kind of see yourself, you know, kind of, like, pulling the trigger or whatever like that, you should become very familiar with them because you know, the people on the right are very familiar with them. And, um, you know, like even just being able to like 
hear a gun going off and know what that is and to not you know like because if, if you're not if you're not familiar with the sound of a gun um it can be like very you know like it, it's it, it can it can freak you out a little bit a lot of people will panic if they don't know what that is or anything like that so um even just um the idea that you should become familiar with them how they work how to disable them how to you know just all these kind of things i think you make some really good points about that kind of stuff where it's like even if you are you know it's a pacifist like the that doesn't believe in their utility as you know a way to exert your will um there's um i think there's a lot of good reasons for everyone to be very familiar with guns and how they work and you know and yeah. how they how to make them not work as well so. i think those are good arguments i think that it is like um not that we're here to all argue uh alice has just brought this energy today um, <laughs> that's right yes <laughs> But, um, you know, I said I said uh, she's here to talk about the future of DIY combat. She's just she's just entering the ring with us all. Um, <laughs> no, I think those are I think those are good arguments because I think it is just worth thinking about what the realities are for people who 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 do live in places where like violence is frequent and and there and there are people with guns. But regarding the right and the left, like we're playing fundamentally different political games. Um, the left is trying to uh, like agree on what is moral and then agree on the way to move towards it the right is trying to like not speak ever publicly about their honest intentions while agreeing on what the path to the levers of power are because they all like view you know the the current levels of power as something they can manipulate to make the world more like how they want it to be and morality mm. doesn't enter into it and one of the quickest level like paths to those levels of power would be to point a gun at someone whereas like the moral argument for using yeah for, for using violence is trickier to get into yeah I sort, of, I sort of disagree again right because i i think that uh part of the reason why i i've been combative about this right is that i think that 3d printed guns and like sort of uh being armed in particular in a disarmed country in like Europe, right? Which is the pers- perspective I'm coming to this from. Like, obviously, it's different in the US, where you know there's some much proliferation of firearms that it kind of like doesn't mm-hmm. matter whether you want to have one or not, right? In Europe, right? I think it's an immense trap, right? For, like any political movement, and I think that's true of the right as well. I think the the parts of the right that have been keenest to arm themselves to take those sort of like extra legal. Uh, like attempts to like challenge the state's monopoly on violence rather than to seize control of it have been the ones who have been most easily corralled and most easily monitored. And I think in particular, this idea of like a distributed defense, a distributed firearm, like this, this potential that like anyone could be armed, right? Is something that, you know, that data to you as a leftist with any sense of like operational security should be absolutely mm-hmm. radioactive, both because of the consequences in terms of like, Anyone you know being anywhere near it are so dangerous to you, but also because it's so easily traced. And this is the thing that, like, any kind of uh, attempt at 3D printing is always trying to camouflage this. This idea that, like, well, once, you know, once Pandora's box is open, once the genie is out of the bottle, it's just out and it's on the internet. And it's like, yes, that's true, right? But, like, in terms of the access to it, that's very different. And I think 
many, many people across all sorts of ideological, religious, political tendencies have found to their cost that while this stuff may be very freely available, it is not freely available to them. And so you end up, you know, downloading a couple of issues of Al Qaeda's magazine or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, immediately you have an MI5 camera placed directly up your urethra. Like this is sort of like, to me, a much more extreme manifestation of the same thing, right? Where it's yeah. a way of sort I mean, of like... To, to say this genie's out of the hmm. bottle analogy, it's like, it's the genie's out of the bottle in a world where everyone's heard of genies before, and the genie's going up to people saying, do you want three wishes? And they're going, are you going to fuck me over? And the genie's like, the no, I'm going to give you three wishes. The, the, the genie has to tell you if he's a cop, legally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you uh, podcasters have to tell you if they're a cop before they come on your podcast, otherwise they can't. Uh, they can't sabotage it. That's um, right. Yeah, but I, I mean, like, I think that the the role of manu- like, how to say, yeah, let's let's say DIY weaponry again in um in genuinely liberator- liberatory action um is an interesting thing to examine. It's just that like it's also uh, as I think you've been doing so far, like really interesting to examine. It's its absence as much as its presence because like and, sure. and why that absence would be i, I would say th- there's a couple of things like one is the sort of the moral case we've been talking about right which is like how how comfortable are you do you want to use firearms do you even want to use that kind of violence and the other is the sort of the our, our beloved material conditions right i i, I mentioned sort of like state sponsors and stuff if you want to talk about for instance and uh, take take uh like latter-day irish republicanism right uh that was like before the good friday agreement that was um uh, a movement that had a very like well-trained well-organized like effective resilient supply chain a number of state sponsors to it and was like unilaterally like 100 percent committed and like able to sort of like contain itself on both a political and a military course a very very difficult thing to do Right. And if the, the conditions aren't there to already produce that, dumping a bunch of guns on top of it, like salt and going, okay, well, do, you know, do all of that stuff now just doesn't work. And you can, you can kind of tell because it hasn't so far, essentially. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say about the, about where, uh, DIY weaponry is like present and, and, and what's interesting about its presence is, um, a kind of opportunity cost thing. Um, when the folks from It Could Happen Here went out to Myanmar and interviewed the rebels, um, they said that their biggest, um, the, the the biggest commonality in how people came to be part of this same insurrectionary action was just when the hunter took over, which people Googled how to make bomb, uh, how to make a gun or whatever. <laughs> like those are the people who are now fighting there. You know, and I think there's there's an interesting parallel to draw between that and the Shinzo Abe assassin and between that and um, uh, sort of key part of what uh, Malm describes in How to Blow Up a Pipeline, which has to do with the nature of us as people living in places that are broadly peaceful and broadly like you're, you're not going to experience a mass shooting and most people don't have a gun, um, is that when, res- and, and uh, you know, another crucial feature, like, if it were the people versus like the military, we live in states that have such absurdly powerful militaries that it's it's not even a question. And so like the resistance comes down to people. Um, if, if people are to turn violent, comes down to people like grabbing shit that's around them in their built environment, um, like you know, just, just heavy things that they can throw or whatever. 
um, and also why people rely so much on, on non-violent direct action. Yeah, absolutely. I think you have to, uh, for, for exactly the reasons you identify. Um, I mean, I, I think the other thing, too, is the kind of insurgent action that sort of like develops in you know around firearms in the absence of that kind of like uh partisan movement is itself like very individual very alienated and like it's something like the right is much more successful at than than the left is because you know the right wants to alienate and radicalize uh and sort of like atomize people whereas we're trying to do the opposite of that well maybe apart from the radicalization bit but you you catch my meaning right it's if you're trying to make people feel sort of like a positive like engagement with a community and solidarity and some kind of sense of shared goal that's not the kind of thing that's very conducive to uh you know it's it's the kind of thing that is is not conducive to well, domestic terrorism, right? Which the right is very good at conducting. Oh, I should also say there isn't. There's another bit about this too, which is collusion, right? Which is I, I mentioned like state sponsors of of, of like left wing terrorism, state sponsors of right wing terrorism, including the same state. Another huge part of making sure any of this stuff goes off, like the whole the whole years of lead could not have happened without sort of like uh, deep complicity of the Italian government in sort of like anti-communist, uh, fascist, uh, domestic terrorism, and much the same with all of this. So when you look at sort of like uh, right-wingers who are sort of like getting access to to these things and what they're hoping to use them for, what they sometimes are using them for, I think you also then have to sort of like question, uh, you know, what kind of bias and what kind of complicity the, uh, you know, security services and the intelligence services have with that, because potentially not nothing. I mean, perhaps so. At the same time, like, arguably, uh, if someone, um, you know, you said before about, like, data that becomes radioactive, but, like, someone can, um, like, can feasibly get files in a way that, um, in a way that, like, they separate from anything that is tracked um and 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 print at a place that is, that is, like, like, is not connected, connected to internet or whatever, um, and like, so I don't know if the, if there is necessarily like um, collusion at play when you see a bunch of people arming themselves with FGC nines in in some kind of conflict like in Myanmar, uh, because like to take what you just said to its conclusion would be necessarily to to say there must be some kind of collusion going on there and you know i don't know necessarily not not the case i mean it's 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 i wouldn't say that in a a place where you could sort of like control territory right if you have like an area that you can prevent a state from entering then yeah of course absolutely but that's sort of like not the situation i'm I'm thinking of here i'm thinking more about the sort of like um again i'm coming to this from you know a, a european and specifically a british perspective where it's like if you tried to do this in this country you know i do not think it would work well absent uh someone fucking up or someone looking the other way um which both of which happen yeah. you know no it's true you tr- if you try to buy a 3d printer in the uk west streeting appears and you get absorbed into his mass <laughs> Like well, there are, thing, there are things that like make it sort of uh, a more dangerous prospect in a lot of ways. Like the the number of parts that you have to print, the fact that you have to source some other parts. Um, the FGC nine, one of the the reasons why it's popular is because ostensibly it doesn't require any any parts that like have a sort of connection to firearms because those parts, if you buy them, are going to be monitored, right? But people order wind chimes on Amazon and they get the the, the parts that can't be printed. Or whatever. Yeah. 
Except they don't anymore because the, every, everyone figured out that's what that was and shut it down. Yeah, it, it, it turns out it's also easy to monitor the parts that people aren't monitoring once you give everyone the plans to them. You know, this is a sort of like inherent flaw to, to having sort of like open source in this, you know? Well, this is why I have we have titled it the future of DIY combat because I do want to move the like I I've I've, I've based a lot of like people in with the uh, the discussion of three D printed weapons, um, but I also think that three D printed weapons is a, is an odd discussion that does like um, the places where it will pop up um, are kind of rarer than the ideological salesmen of three D printed weapons. Funnily enough, uh, are saying. Um, and also, you know, you already made the comparison to the Boogaloo Boys, but like, you know, to compare what Jay Stark uh, would talk about and other people in that community would talk about, like, it's, it's, it is quite identical to any bunch of guys who are really, really keen on arming themselves and claim to not be right or left wing. Um, but I sure. do think that, like, um, the question that I really want to get down to is, like, what we what we see in the future of like people trying to fight the state in asymmetric warfare mm. well i mean i think this is something that's going to get more likely rather than less uh more plausible rather exactly. than less i think i, I think 3d printed firearms are this like weird transitional stage now i think once 3d printing of like the, the stuff that's now on an industrial scale uh of like 3d printing centering metal stuff like that uh once that filters down, provided we don't like you know Kessler syndrome ourselves or something first, like yeah, sure. Uh, but I, again, I think it's like it's one tool in a pretty crowded toolbox, right? I, I kind of I don't want to overstate its importance um, because at, at the end of the day, like states, you know, have have sort of like successfully and unsuccessfully attempted to fight insurgencies uh, with. You know any number of technologies uh, available to them, and ultimately, that's not what really proves determinative. A lot of the time, yeah. um, it's yeah. it's it's again, it's our it's our material conditions, you know. Uh, so I I wouldn't sort of like invest too heavily in that one, you know. No, absolutely. Um, that's that's kind of what I'm saying. Um, I think there's also a perspective on uh, insurgency that like should be looked at from uh, like the popular imagining of the Second Amendment is hmm. that pe- people in America are allowed to put together a militia to fight the government in case the government is a tyranny. And the, uh, yeah. you know, obviously the, mo- the modern reality people are always pointing out is how much uh, more powerful the American military, like hopelessly, hilariously more powerful the American military is than anything that um, civilians could put together. But um, I think another thing that like we see with January 6th is like... Um, the nature of insurgency for like um the modern and, and richest states also is massively different like mm. um secession from from a state is much more of a like a, a an achievable insurrectionary goal than like actually trying to like overthrow the government as the as the j6 people thought they were doing because like everyone immediately was just like okay, a bunch of people in silly costumes have gone into the halls of power and they've sort of paraded around and then they've waited for the cops to show up and arrest them. Tell it to the last people who tried to secede from the United States, you know, who had a comparable sort of like level of uh, like uh, technological development. They both had rifles. Um, it's just they didn't have, you know, uh, 3,000 as many miles of railroads. Uh, what they, the January 6th guys came, I think, closer than anyone realizes to logistically like lynching a bunch of congressmen yeah well the point the point i was trying to wind towards was like 
had they achieved that, like the harm to the American state is not, I think, what they then would have imagined. Because like mm. whether they achieve literally everything they had in their minds for like carrying out that day, like the final thing they had in their minds that like then the the silent majority would back them and say, Well, you're you're now our new god kings and you can you can place Trump at the top and organize yourselves into a hierarchy mm. of demonic princes. Um but like that bit's just never gonna happen because like the the modern state the of, of these richest nations like is this um oddly acephalous for how for how hierarchical it is creature and like mm-hmm. taking out like th- them lynching a bunch of congressmen actually wouldn't have like immediately handed any any levers of power to them obviously but it also like wouldn't have meaningfully like stopped the the machinations of the state as they as they were going well, I I think about how many putches it took the Nazis, you know, which was a few. They had they had a few tries at it, uh, uh, you know, in a bunch of which they they got crushed, you know, uh, and you know, I I mean, conversely, the Bolsheviks sort of like came at the the end of a long long line of like demonstrations getting fired into and like sort of local petty rebellions and stuff. Um, I I think you can sort of like take a middle road on this stuff and view it as like. Yeah, okay. It's it wouldn't have toppled the United States instantly, but like I think you can significantly destabilize a state that way, and I think that's exactly what they were aiming to do. And I think to an extent they still succeeded. So, yeah, I think that's a really good point. It is just you know sheer amounts of numbers, um, which is again like I think like a, a good argument, um, <clears throat> you know, for anyone who obviously we would never encourage anyone to do anything like this on our show because it would be illegal and therefore wrong. Uh, but if anyone is out there thinking of uh, you know, making their own weapons with which to assassinate <laughs> various members of the Tory party or the government or whatever, um, to, to perhaps not do that because, uh, A, it wouldn't be that successful. B, uh, it wouldn't definitely be in any way sort of like shaping a revolution, um, if, if you're doing it with that kind of, uh, mentality. And C, um, we could, probably just do a revolution without firearms anyway january 6th proved that kind of thing um you know because like not all of the people at january 6th were having were were like carrying guns and shit like they could have easily just like broken in and got a bunch of guys put them on fucking rope hung them up or hung them up on poles you know what i mean like that's that's like a thing you can do without guns and i'm not saying we're gonna do that fake guys by the way just saying fake guys (laughs) he's Putting the guys on poles, you uh, you know, we're just saying, don't don't put real people on the. No, no, yeah, up. don't no. Do, don't <laughs> do that. No, I'm not saying that anyone should do that. No one, no one should do that either. But that's what I'm saying. Like, and at the end of the day, like, if you wanted to use people power to do a revolution, we're not even saying to actually go to a government building and you know, I don't know. Put, put, put your finger in the chest of Rishi Sunak and be like, you're a naughty boy. You know, it's more like, well, what we do is we unionize, uh, you know, seize the means of production, uh, you know, form mutual aid groups, feed each other, um, you know, communal mm. gardens, et cetera, et cetera. But this is what I meant about secession was about people like people providing for each other in community um, is a much, is yeah. I think the much more viable thing than, um, the 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 toppling or replacement or even for that matter destabilization. I think that the successes of something like J six like really just end in um, in the American government finally deciding it is going to be hostile towards people who are like 
openly and obviously fat like that kind of fascist while probably allowing the the rest of them to continue but like yeah, um, the 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 joke i always make that I, I i hate it when the liberal state defends itself from the left but i love when it defends itself from the right <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i i mean that is the you know and that and it's it's their mild success brought like a lot more defense around Capitol Hill and 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 then a lot of like the the slow processing of of sentencing of those of the people who are involved. When you say about the Nazi putches or the Russian Revolution uh, and historic examples, like it just uh, it's just that like the physical location of halls of power, I think, is a different question in those kinds of like insurrections because they were talking like they were they were all organizing at a time when like i don't know like how much how much government business is literally conducted over zoom now like how much shit is is remote remotely called in and and like um and and then so if if you know you're like v for vendetta guy like blows up the houses of parliament like don't don't all of the people that like all, don't all of the MPs or I don't know people that the role of MP falls to if uh, whichever guy got 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 was in was in the Houses of Parliament when they got exploded um, like they they just have like Zoom meetings or they go to like the the Excel Center or whatever and camp out there mm-hmm. until it's until their their next thing is established. I don't know. I I, I think you have a point certainly, but the thing with January sixth is that. You know, much of it turned out to actually depend on the physical presence of these people. And I think a lot of people made the same assumptions. I think a lot of people, particularly who were invested in the liberal state defending itself and were invested in the US government, were like, this cannot happen and cannot have a meaningful effect because, you know, it's not 1917, right? You can't just like force the doors in and there's going to be a bunch of guys in there. Like, you know, because we assume there's something that's going to be like technologically in the way of that, whether that's like Zoom calls or whether like, you know, Ed 209 comes out of like a hidden thing in the corridor or whatever. And like, you know, it just and and it, it turned out, no, not so much. Uh, at, at the end of the day, the sort of the business of government turned out to be like, if anything, more fragile than it looked. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I think that's a fair point. I think it's also re- worth like bringing up a comment that's been made on this show before. Uh, by a different guest that uh, J6 was like the stochastic apotheosis. Um, so it might like, and this is really just responding to your point, comparing it to Nazi putsches. Like it's a bunch of conspiracy nuts got gathered together in, in one location. And some of them were particularly dangerous, but there was such a huge crowd of them that it was hard to tell who was who. And so it was not like an organized storming of the capital. It was a, it was a, it was just a big, like, mob of uh you know with with some groups of people in there who had some degree of organizing together but just not like like not by a long stretch the majority of the people there and i don't i uh, i put I, I, here's the thing i think that when steve bannon called himself a leninist he wasn't actually lying and i think you can view january 6th as a a great example of marxist leninist organizing by fascists right because you don't necessarily need all of that you you need a sort of a, a vanguard party who are organized and do know what to do uh that are kind of able to ride a crowd uh 
Uh, and that's that's what they attempted to do. I think you you look at the indictments of sort of like senior Proud Boys and stuff, and you know they were in a hotel room, which is it, it's it's faintly pathetic. But then I guess any sort of like revolutionary act looks faintly pathetic when you write it up in an indictment. They were in a like a hotel room across the river. Yeah, if 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 it succeeds, then then their generations, Aaron Sorkin, is writing. They were there on the eve of the great revolution in their in their room in the travelodge, ready yeah, to yeah, strike. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. In the travelodge with a bunch of guns and a bunch of group chats, yeah. The Havana Cafe in Mexico City where they planned the yeah. revolution and stuff. It's like, this just just some dudes at a cafe. Just some dudes getting coffee. <laughs> so you're telling me, like, some dudes just got on, like, one guy's shitty yacht and, like, went back to Cuba and then, like, a couple of years later, no Batista? <laughs> Crazy. Exactly, exactly. It's, that's, that's all it was, you know? Just dudes being dudes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess the point I was again trying to get like closer to um, is where I think this is more likely to like where DIY weaponry is more likely to pop it pop up uh, as relevant is in places where people don't have there isn't a gun culture so they don't they aren't just familiar with like mechanisms to just buy a gun um, but there are people arming themselves in some sense because of like a, a collapsing and deteriorating and expanding fringe um places where like i mean to 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 tie it more directly to what i'm talking about like where the collapsing ecology is making it like so that like state power has fallen apart i always go back to the example of louisiana because like it's one of the places where like a football field of land disappears over like 30 minutes because it's like just that rapidly going under the like under the water um but like in louisiana where like massive floods happen all the time um, when those happen, like state state power goes out in a very meaningful sense, and like communities are providing for each other. And this is the sort of like testing ground where the first thing we see is like, well, Hobbs was full of shit, huh? Because people are getting together to try and get each other blankets and hot meals and and not uh, stabbing everyone they've ever had a minor resentment <laughs> against at the grocery store. Um, but like, yeah, I, I, you know, then the other, the, then the next question becomes like, what of people who want to use uh, violence to create like a rigid hierarchical control in that situation? And then the follow-on question from that, or in a sense, the preceding question from that, because people will see that question coming, is like, how do people defend themselves? And to me, that's where we're more likely to see the presence of uh, DIY weaponry um, and people trying to arm themselves in various ways um is for like the the defense against people who see violence as a path to like um control through disaster mm. yeah i mean if, if we're in like the wastelands right i'm fully prepared to go full out new vegas mode yeah i'll 3d print myself a revolver absolutely but like <laughs> i i think it's a good point and i i think also i, I want to come back to burma a bit right because we you mentioned like an actual sort of like functional insurgency there with like control of territory and lines and stuff. I think one of the reasons why they were able to successfully use 3D printed weapons was because there was a sort of already existing insurgent revolutionary movement, several in fact, uh, that were already armed, that were already sort of like had some degree of training, whether from like, you know, deserted conscripts or like people who had already been fighting. Um, and, you know, this stuff didn't sort of like grow out of nowhere. It was able to like sort of augment and adhere to this sort of like structure that already existed. Um, and I think ultimately, 
if you want to, uh, th- this is like my maximally spicy position, right? This is the one that is most likely to get me in trouble. Is if you were interested in any of that happening, the necessary preconditions for that isn't the arming; it's the sort of like community and network and supply chains and resources and all of that that already existed in those places, right? Um, and I think that's that's sort of the key. And whether that looks like, uh, you know, sort of like doing some community gardening or whatever it looks like, I think that's the important thing. I, I think also too, no, I completely like, agree with that. Yeah. On yeah. on on the moral side, like you know, I I talked about sort of like the right wanting to do domestic terrorism. I know that there are exceptions, right? I've met some of the exceptions, but in general, I have found us on the left, if you let me include myself in the left, to be a vegan tray bake ass community. Like we generally like supporting each other and caring for each other. Um and I think in the in the long run, you know, as as a good Marxist, I think that that serves us better, right? Because it can't not. Yeah, a hundred percent. I completely agree. Um yeah, I, I think that this is like all I mean about the I wanted to clarify my previous comment just because I I, I think I stumbled through it a little bit. Um, I do definitely come to the perspective, like come to this with the perspective that like when disaster hits and we're just going to be living in a a time where disaster hits pretty much nonstop uh, from now on. Yay. Um, They're like the the pre-existing structures and community that exists there are going to dictate practically everything. And the, the previous comment is about like, um, the places in which like the pre-existing structures and community are fashy ones because their idea of how you create order is for is for everyone to have a gun uh but also for them to all like have um have fake military titles that they've given each other for naming cereals or whatever we're not gonna do that i mean can we i think it'd be cool if we all if we all punch you while you name cereals <laughs> no, no, no! The fake military titles bit. The serial. Well, actually, kind of go either <laughs> way. About the serials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So the um, you know, in in that in that situation, it's like, well, there, there, there's one way around where you say like, if the if the predominant community in an area that then gets a flood or a drought or an earthquake, the cyclone, whatever, like, uh, and the power goes out and everything's fucked, like the predominant like organized community is a bunch of fash then i mean the first answer is like well then they're gonna die because their organizing has not actually done anything that will protect them against a disaster um because they can't they can't shoot the drought away you wait six months and then you go over to their bunker pry the door open with a crowbar and get a bunch of cool like 3d printed guns off of their, their fallout style like environmental storytelling once skeletons. again back in fallout new vegas uh trans women have one one single brain cell but then, like you know, then then the other thing is like, what about in a place where there is some degree of community that has organized something that like provides security and provides people with meals, and then there's and then there's also some degree of organized fash presence, and then that's where I see this like becoming a, a more relevant thing, um, because yeah, I just like I I I guess like a, a central thing I'd like to be repeated in this episode is like. Anyone who thinks that 3D printed weaponry is going to lead to an overthrow of any modern state, um, well, maybe it depends on the state, but like not the big ones. Yeah, it, you'd have to be really like really pushing on an open door there. I think. <laughs> <laughs> on this, um, you know, th- this being the the better strategy that serves us in the long term, I do think like um, 
I think about there's a book I've been meaning to read that's called like how many machine guns does it take to cook one meal and this is always the position I'm coming back to is like this is like the the provision of resources is the more meaningful kind of security than pointing a gun at someone um but I still also like I don't know it's it's an odd question that comes comes back around when like I talk to people in um communities that are just providing for each other and then they're they're worried about like if people if if their children or grandchildren will have to build fences and have weapons and whatever because of other people who don't uh just see what they've got and say cool well we'll also help you provide for each other and get provided for in exchange but rather like well then we could have the biggest share of it um which is kind of odd right because like ideologically we try and come up with an abstract answer to that idea all the time like people People say under communism, what if there was a guy who wanted more than his fair share? Um, and then we we try to like do that really abstractly. But I think that like, I don't know, there's a practical reality whether there's someone who is just just fundamentally like ideologically opposed, just sees things utterly differently and does just just want to grab shit. Mm. I mean, I'm I'm too much of a statist. I'm like, yeah, the the government should probably do that. It just should be a government of the people instead of not the people, you know? <laughs> Gulag, but just for that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sort of the the middle line on Stalinism is that like <laughs> enemies enemies of the people are real. There's just like five of them. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you get like a quota. You get like a max number of enemies of, of the people, and above that, you're like taking the piss, and they're not really like. I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> Do any of us think we're going to see more Shinzo Abe assassinations? You know, I kind of was thinking about this, right? And for a long time, I was kind of, um, I don't want to say pessimistic about this, because I don't necessarily like, I'm not necessarily team assassin on this one, for a, for a bunch of reasons. But like, for a while, I kind of thought that the assassination was over, right? And I thought it had gotten to the point where like, uh, like VIPs had gotten too good at protecting themselves. Um and I, in the main, I still think that. Like, I don't think anyone's going to be able to, like, run up on Elon Musk, because Elon Musk, has, he pays, like, 50 psycho war criminal ex-Navy SEAL guys to pretend to be friends with him. And yeah. so, like, he just kind of moves in a phalanx around them. But, like, I guess the lesson from, from Shinzo Abe is that, like, you know, never say never, right? And, like, sometimes, like, a guy's in the right place at the wrong time and has purposely built a sort of, like, electric weird shotgun and, and is able to like disconnect you from earth's wi-fi i'm never gonna not be mad at the guy for not using the nine barrel deleter though <laughs> <laughs> i feel like in general it seems like like i mean I, I i know it statistically is down here i'm not sure about in every other country but like political violence is on the rise here especially we're coming up to election season and we've had more i guess like political violence aimed particularly at maori mps and like oh we've had like a few assaulted in public we've had people breaking into their homes and doing this kind of stuff and i feel like it, it seems we've like had two mps assassinated in the last decade yeah yeah and you've had yeah mm -hmm. like uh was it joe cox and things like that like um yeah. i feel like you know no, I, it's i feel like our like kind of culture in general is probably maybe moving towards like something really terrible like that i don't know if it would be like an assassination but it would be like you know someone attempting to do something really gnarly like that but um yeah i don't know like uh i'm not so much sure about the like 
improvised firearm or like you know 3d printed gun kind of angle but um yeah i i i feel like if anything the age of the assassination is like moving into a like a weird new frontier of um like oh you know like a realm of possibility that um that previously wasn't there um, yeah. or previously unexplored maybe should say yeah. um, the thing that I really want to know because we're not going to know this but I know that it happens more regularly probably than any other person is how many people yearly try and assassinate Putin like mm. because it has no, to be yeah. a lot we may, because we may never know this is, this is the thing like it literally has to be a lot because he's mm. such a piece of shit and like just to be in, you know, I, there are obviously like a lot of governments all over the world, like, you know, possibly this is like a thing that maybe would happen in Iran as well, because the, um, I don't quite know what the title is, but the, the, the ruler of uh, Iran, you know, making things like The Ayatollah, so much... yeah, the, the supreme guardian of the Islamic revolution, yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah that guy. Um, yeah, you know, like the, the, that guy, he's clearly going to have had some attempts on his life um, just because of how, like, you know, I, I just, I'm just thinking about states where it's like the oppression is so intense. Like, yeah, you know, we, we have that in the Imperial Corps for sure. We really do. But like, definitely not as bad as like some of these places in the Imperial periphery, which, you know, is our fault for sure. Like, you know, colonialism is a huge piece of shit. Uh, and, uh, you know, it has lasting effects, but like, um, you know, these, these more interesting places, like say, uh, Iran, uh, Russia, um, I'm also thinking like, uh, maybe China, like maybe we don't hear about people because the Hong Kong depression was really fucking bad. Um, like how many people are going to be trying to assassinate Xi Jinping? Well, I mean, China, I think to me, China is another one of these examples where I would say there's a presence of what I'm. No, I, I need a better better term than modern because it's not just to do with like modernity, but like the nature of the state of China. Like yeah. that, like someone would have to hope to take out the whole CCP in one go. Um, I think Literally, to yeah. mm, Xi Jinping as a figurehead. Like I don't know, it, it is just like there there are places where um, the the specific world leaders like hold on power has a lot more to do with them and like so your example of putin is a is a pretty solid one but i don't know that um xi jinping is a a good corollary i think xi jinping is it falls a little Mm. a little closer to like you know rishi sunak or whatever where if if just had a heart attack tomorrow there's some other guy in a suit for sure like um spots like maybe like you know like in like pakistan and stuff how we were looking at a while back how it was like all the levers of power were controlled by like people that were like you know like vaguely related to each other i feel Sri like Lanka. that's yeah 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 Sri Lanka was it, sorry. um yeah you know like spots like that it's like okay there is a bigger reason than just taking out the individual you know that sits in that seat at the time it's like you know when you're taking shots like that you're you know, this is a, a bigger plan. But um, also, um, one thing, like you mentioned, you know, like with uh, assassinate, assassinations outside of the Imperial Corps or whatever like that, and you're talking about, um, you know, colonialism and all that kind of stuff, you know, we think of these like, you know, like the colonized people striking back at the, you know, the representatives of the global hegemony or whatever. Um, yeah, that's what I think is like really funny about down here where it's like, the political violence is like overwhelmingly from 
you know, like the white conservatives against Maori Maori political figures. And it's just like this thing where it's like, you know, like if if you were to ask someone from the outside, you'd be like, oh yeah, you know, like there's, you know, Maori have like way more reasons to like, you know, like run a training camp and do this or whatever like that. When you look at it, it's just like, no, it's just like white dudes that have farms and they're like actually like doing all right for themselves it's like i mean yeah it's like I'm, I'm sure it's like a common theme everywhere you know it's like i guess kind of the same as like a lot of those like border patrol guys in the states and shit where it's just like like bro what are you stressed about <laughs> like you got nothing like i think the question of the of the diy weapon is like is just one that's kind of going to continue to be like a smaller percentage of the uses of weaponry uh that that otherwise would be there anyway and i think the question of like assassination is an interesting one because you know that's a place where someone obviously like doesn't want a weapon that is is registered and traceable um but again this is why like you know the the bed bath and beyond shotgun is uh more viable than than the 3d printed one um mm-hmm. but like regarding like i don't know an age of assassinations and people like using political violence in that way like it's interesting to see like notions of like social permission uh making it more okay like this is like when you're saying about like white supremacists who want to attack maori uh politicians i think that's like you know the the settler colonial mindset there is like is just that maori lives like are less valuable and then and then like the using violence uh is is therefore more okay i think that like an interesting uh case study of the of like social social permissions and assassination attempts is um going back to the Russian revolution again, um, Zasulich, when Vera Zasulich like shot that, um, that governor and at her court case, her lawyer focused so hard on what the governor had done and why people were upset that the court case became essentially a trial of him. And then the jury voted that it was okay to shoot the guy and let her go. <laughs> um, and like, you know, you see already, um, on in the terms of that specific social permission like jur- juries acquitting people for their actions like people uh being acquitted for um for climate actions people from palestine action being acquitted um and obviously that's not directly comparable and not on the same level as um uh, as sh- shooting a politician um but it is the the mechanisms of, of social permission is what i'm getting at like mm. um when people know that this is the way that it's going to go down when they do this probably more people will follow suit. Yeah, and I think that's an important thing to sort of like bring up as well, is that like, <clears throat> going back to what you were saying, Alice, about, um, you know, the way that the way that leftists just kind of generally are, um, especially here in the UK anyway, um, in terms of like where we, we don't really have... I, I, I Actually, I'm thinking a lot in this episode about our like American comrades, and they're probably getting really annoyed at yeah, this discussion. Sure. But... <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, suck it up. You know, you're not the 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 center of this discussion for once. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, <laughs> go back to what I was saying. You were talking about how like leftists over here, like we really just sort of like you know, kind of turned off by the idea of guns. Um, I just don't you know really think it's gonna uh, take much of a hold either. And um, I also think as well is that like if there were more violent, I guess, cells of certain groups who did certain actions like that etc i do think that like potentially it could damage the groups that they're affinity they're being like an affinity group for right absolutely yeah for sure 
So I think that like that in particular is going to be like the main thing that I think prevents anyone with half a brain for want of a better expression from, from like doing something like that. Um, you know, hopefully because at the end of the day it would, it would just turn into look at what these lefty loony climate activists are doing. One of them shot an oil baron. Oh, terrible. So when we think about like the way that anytime there is like some kind of like terrorism from the right or whatever and they implement new kind of like legislation whatever like that and and how they they use that to target people on the left like can you imagine the the world if someone like someone from like black hammer performed an attempted political assassination or something like that can you imagine like so someone from Black Hammer like decapitates an oil CEO with like a katana or something, yeah, and yeah, the yeah. next day all of us are in the football stadium. Like yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It, yeah no, no. And question. then you find out it's not even like an oil CEO; it's just yeah. like some guy that like had a similar name and yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, but, I mean, I, I think I think there's one thing that I kind of I I, I missed the chance to talk about, which I should have done. I should have thought about this in an American context, which is one of the kind of utilities of of guns right is uh this spectrum that like ends at like shooting someone right but before that you have all of this sort of like deterrence of that right and i think that's useful in an armed society like the u.s and that's why i think something like you know the john brown gun club gun club is useful right is if you have a sort of like armed leftists in an armed society you know whether that's you know outside fucking drag queen story time or whatever other culture war flashpoint it is i think potentially that's something that is very useful i just don't think that it translates you know yeah 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 Yeah, for sure i agree i think um yeah a lot of a lot of people sort of get hung up because gun discussions especially politically based gun discussions um are very much in relation to leftist politics like you say like in in the in the u.s a lot of us tend to worry a little bit too much i know that this is something that's been in the back of my mind while doing this episode is that maybe someone is going to listen to this and be like i can't believe the red planet hosts are against uh people owning guns like they're against that they're for gun control this is ridiculous it's not leftist etc um you know i think that we're all a bit worried about that but yeah no you have to remember that we aren't we're not talking like specifically about the us here this is this is a conversation about like diy combat and i guess maybe there's an argument to be made that says maybe some people in the us might need to do diy combat but again like none of us here are from there so mm. We were, yeah. we were hoping Kara was going to be here today, but unfortunately she's ill, so... I, I feel like it's relatively straightforward in the American context, which is, like, the leftist conversation is about community defense. And so it's about it's about marginalized people's, uh, like, sharing in, and, you know, this is the point you are making earlier, Tim, like, about, like, knowledge that's necessary in a world, in a community, in a, in a culture where people have a lot of guns, like, sharing in that knowledge, sharing in that training, and sharing in the, 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 the physical resources of the guns and ammunition, um... And like, you know, I mean, shockingly, leftist perspective on things turns out to be to share. Um, but it's like, <laughs> you know, con- contrasted against the like the the deterrence dispensed, just yeah. the control pew guys. Um, mm. It's like compared to their idea of every person having a gun. It's like you know, the, another application of this in the American context is probably that some people will um, 
organized together to uh, have like weapons that they share for in case of emergency and like train enough mm. people to use them that whichever one happens to be around in the case of that emergency can use them. And uh, and then those those weapons may well be 3D printed or 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 or, you know, Bed Bath and Beyond together uh, when they if they are in a place where like their access to guns for whatever reason, like disappears, but like access to guns in America disappearing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of them to disappear. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Uh, so there was one more thing I wanted to mention in, in on the control like, you guys. Dying into this. Well, not the control you guys, but the the liberator oh. guy. I me- I mentioned mm. the liberator. Uh, the the liberator was a, a project of you know uh, the the founder of uh, you know Defense Distributed, which you know has since been supplanted a bit by the guys you're talking about, which was Deterrence uh, Dispensed or whatever the fuck. Um, but because we're talking about right libertarians, uh, Cody Wilson, uh, this guy, he kind of went off the 3D printed firearm scene for a while. And the reason why was the other thing that libertarians like doing. Oh, oh. Yeah. He founded this, like, alt-right competitor to Patreon called Hatreon, right? Which then got (laughs) shut down because Visa wouldn't take their money, right? Um, uh, It was going to, like, you know, bankroll, like, you know, uh, Weave and... That's so interesting. What are those things that Visa doesn't like? There are some things that they they absolutely won't take money from, and I'm I'm curious what... Sex work and, for some reason, like, open Nazis. Um, So, so yeah, Visa shut him down. But, uh, yeah, and and then he uh, went to prison for, like, a couple of years, I think, for, uh, like, impugning or, like, importing a minor. Um, and is now he's now out. He's now back doing it. He's back 3D printing. So, wow. you know, that's that's a sort of like little little slice through the culture there. And uh, you know, mm. one reason why I'm sort of like so, uh, you know, fringe about them. Uh, prisons, prisons do truly protect us from pedophiles, don't they? I'm so glad they. Exist. Yeah, I mean that that one guy for like a couple of years. Apparently, you know, yeah. it's uh, take what you can get, I guess. And now he's back out and has as many guns as he can possibly 3D print, so that's good. <laughs> that's, um, that's right, yeah. Great. This is the one thing we did want... No? No. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. This is the one thing we wanted, and then one other thing we didn't want to happen. Yeah. It's like the exact situation that the Founding Fathers intended when they, you know... That's when true, they said actually. That, yeah, you know, when they... That um, was what they were imagining. They said that thing that they said, and they were like, yeah... You know, the founding fathers yeah. wrote the Declaration of Independence with a techno nonce in mind. That was their um, that was their guiding <laughs> star. Yeah, the founding fathers definitely had in mind the guy from existence building a gun out of um, bones of teeth to uh, to a political assassination. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. That's exactly what the founding fathers had in mind. Ordering ordering nine <laughs> plates of what that guy had because I'm building the the Shinzo Abe deleter version of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I just, I hate these guys. They're all such fucking cringe, like, crypto-fascists who think they're smarter than they are. And I've seen their YouTube videos, and they suck. They, one of them did a fucking <laughs> music video song yeah, about the, the HK fact slap. The HK, I hate it so much, dude. Yeah, it's yeah, no. the, the worst person I know showed it to me gleefully. Mm. <laughs> they are all the same guy, Tim. I agree. It's wild, yeah, yeah. Because it's like, oh, just... because Alice Alice said then, uh, oh, was it so, I, I can't remember, like, one of you said, someone said. Mm. It's okay, trans women all look the same. No, you know what I'm <laughs> trying yeah. to say. It was about Fallout New Vegas. Yeah, that's It right. was, yeah. 
DJ Mule outed known transfer DJ Mule. Um, <laughs> added to the list of things people say about me. Um, but um, someone said about like, now it's gone. Now it's gone. Now I don't know what it was. Oh, so... I'm sorry. Oh, no. Oh. One of you said you, you knew a song. And I was like, I know which one you're on about, but I the don't. The HK Slap one. Oh, no, no, no. no. Yeah, the it's HK di- Slap. Different one. It's, a different, it's a different one. I'm thinking oh, of a different God. one. There's another they one. They keep making more. them. Oh, great. Mm. If they're just churning them out of some kind of big extruder <laughs> of some kind. Yeah. I hope one of the Q- Q&A questions now is just for Alice to perform the HK Slap song. No. Um, <laughs> um, absolutely not. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think we've We've done a fairly good job of getting through the discussion that I wanted to have, which is for people to not expect 3D printed weapons to liberate us from uh, the struggles mm. that we face. Yeah, quite the opposite, I would say. I'm glad that my baiting was so effective that uh, Alice came in here expecting <laughs> to have to fight me about this. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, but I, I, I've had a lovely time, you know? <laughs> Turning towards, I think, the Q&A section, probably. First question is from Ashrand, and they've asked yeah. favorite vegan tray bake flavor. Uh, I so when I when I made the which vegan tray vegan bake, tray bake joke, for breakfast. What, what I had in mind was like a tray of vegan brownies. Uh, I ah. think to me that's the prototypical left, and particularly anarchist tray bake is okay, someone who's made like a tray of brownies. Shit, you read me for shit right here because I love making vegan yeah. brownies for people. What the fuck? I literally yeah. took a bunch of vegan brownies to a, a renters' union meeting. Hey, bro, you make me ago. vegan brownies. So <laughs> yeah, I come up this week. standard. Incredible. Yeah, it's abs- it's absolutely standard, you know. And I, I'm, it's not a criticism. I'm a huge fan, but it's it's absolutely the thing that people gravitate to is is the brownies. Will, when I come up this week, come, can you make me vegan brownies? Hell yeah, I'll make you vegan yeah. brownies and vegan oh, yeah. cookies because I love you so <sighs> much. Fuck yes. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, well, so uh, the next one, Malcolm Sangnero, Christian, but inspired by the It Could Happen Here show. How about 3D printing drones slash explosive cases? Mm. I like how that's framed. How about it? How about it, Alice? If if you if you want to 3D print some explosives and lower your own fingers off, you know, I I don't think me <laughs> telling you not to is going to stop you. Um, <laughs> again, I think all of the same stuff obtains. Like if you look at. Yeah. For instance, being able to like make drones in Ukraine and stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of people who have been like very uh, like ingenious about it who had mm-hmm. no prior training, but they also did it within the confines of like a state that was supporting them. You know, and unless you oh, have yeah. some kind of like backing to do that and someone who knows what they're doing, all you're going to do is like Abu Hamza yourself. You know, the um like the printing of drones has been something that's been in development for as long as people have had like commercial 3d printers um the, the like open source drone stuff it's just actually very easy to do um i like started making a drone uh when i was still doing my engineering course that's like largely 3d printed parts um it did fly not well um but like the explosive cases i just find like this is this feels like one of those places where we're we're pouring like 3d printing into every every possible problem as if it's yeah, going to be a good yeah. solution to all of them yeah. like why would why of all the things like yeah, yeah. Plastic, <laughs> plastic that notoriously has a very low melting point just seems mm. like just notoriously flimsy plastic just see okay um mm. maybe we'll just go on to the next question um <laughs> rohak asked 
when we talk about local organizing, should that involve becoming in, uh, involved becoming involved in local politics, councillors, etc.? Is there much value there? Yeah, why not? Dual power. Do, do do what seems like opposite mm. to you at any particular moment. You know, if if your local politics seem germane to you, being able to like do something useful with them, then yeah, by all means. Yeah. If you have enough wonk brain to exist as a <laughs> local politician, then that's you right. Probably yeah. are best off doing that. Yeah, I think if, <laughs> if we are being realistic, you know, yeah, and it's like I think the modern. Like, yeah, building dual power in the modern kind of electoral system, I think, um, requires people from the outside and the inside of the system to be kind of coordinating in some way, not necessarily like openly or directly, but, um, like I know plenty of people in the more like progressive, um, left parties down here that are like very openly communicating with like way more radical groups of their own to sure. bring issues like, into you know like mainstream kind of political debates like you know like um down here the maori party just you know launched a prison abolition plan you know like shit like that like it's um like there's it's definitely not like the only thing you ever want to be doing but um it's definitely another thing you can be doing you know if if the lanyard calls to you you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) you hear the palantir whispering to you um, yeah. the, the like I, and this is also like a, you know a distinction between like the executive committee and local politicians is like local politicians can affect a lot of change within london when you look at like borough by borough maps of various public resources you see jeremy corbyn's borough islington come up again and again as like wow they kept the libraries open wow they have third mm. spaces for teenagers wow yeah. um it's like yeah a, a local politician can do a a, a fair amount and then like the perfect contrast, another leader of the Labour Party would be uh, Ed Miliband, right? Who, when he was in as the leader of the Labour Party, was like much, much, much more mild than he was when he was immediately like on a, a mm. political podcast right after, like uh, in, in the aftermath, espousing much more radical positions. And now he's in Starmer's shadow cabinet and again being mm. like uh, entirely made of thin grey gruel. So like, <laughs> yeah, just stay away from the executive uh, com- com- committee of any party. So the next question um, is from uh, Morgan the Fay, uh, saying, "Question for Alice: Do you think that leftists who are mostly online have trouble imagining political violence, or do you find opposite that they are focused on political violence that is unrealistic?" In brackets, I don't know if this is a good question or not. Oh, it's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I, I I think you kind of can go both ways with it to be honest mm. i you see plenty of examples of both and you know i i think ultimately your sense of that your sense of like what kind of violence is like uh plausible or you know mm. correct or permissible and stuff mm. is like directly correlated to how much grass you touch which is why you should <laughs> therefore not take anything i've said this evening at all seriously uh since i i touch keyboard this is like we when we were talking to jamie peck last week uh we talked a little bit Mm. about uh, militancy because this is a term that she uses for herself and like regarding militancy i always go back to a saying of mine like that an army gets anywhere all in sync and one step at a time and so like Mm. when people are advocating political violence that is not at all in line like not a single step further ahead than but like 
far, far, far ahead of like where the current political uh, mood is at. It's just like, what do you think that's gonna like achieve? What mostly do you, it's not gonna from the police. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's it's very much cop behavior. Um, all right. Anyway, well, why um, did this? Why did this guy with a short haircut and a North Face jacket just uh, just loudly say, <laughs> "Hey, we should shoot and, them"? You know, <laughs> <laughs> and brand new shiny boots with absolutely no wear and tear. <laughs> Listen, I, I I I just like the boots. I just like them. Yeah. You know. <laughs> all right. So, uh, Bud Tickler asks. How much do you think uh, the 3D firearms community guys just assume everyone thinks like Americans in regards to firearms? And do you think they even factor in that disarmed societies will react very differently? Yeah, absolutely. It, it is American brain poison uh, to the point that I think that Jay Stark was thinking like an American despite living in Germany. Like, it, <laughs> I, I genuinely think that that's that's one of the things about it is that it's so online and it's so focused <laughs> in such a like narrow like hyper fixated sphere of libertarian pedophiles people that like get so obsessed with these like these insular online communities like we get we get like like turf activists down here that become like they can only relate to british politics and they just become yeah like obsessed with that or we get like you know the other dudes that are obsessed with like the american trump stuff to the point where it's like it was like a restaurant not far from my old house it was like flying let's go brandon flags and shit and it's oh, just God. like what the fuck is going on in there like, and, uh, <laughs> like yeah I, I i don't want to offend any of our like uh german listeners or chatters out there but i do find like there's a certain breed of leftist that tends to be the worst a some somehow for some reason german and i don't know what that <laughs> is i don't know i don't know if that's something to do with history or yeah you know but they like they love israel they won't accept anyone who said anything good about palestine like even like the, the super militant anti-fascist uh you know german leftists they're like no you must support israel what's yeah. wrong with you Do, are you a nazi you know like <laughs> the german left is in shambles right but there's the the tendency that you're talking about are the like anti-deutsche who are fucking mental politely yeah. Uh, uh, along the same lines, who are like, no, Israel is like an anti-colonial endeavor <laughs> oh, and progressive, oh. and I've like, shit, yeah. yeah. It, w when there's an attempt to legitimize that beyond just like, I am German and I feel bad, uh, it's <laughs> usually through the lens of like the sort of brief flowering of like socialist Zionism, right? Uh, it, it's yeah, very yeah, stupid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That that's part of it, and then part of it's also that Die Linke sort of like incinerated their own credibility because Sarah Wagenacht was like, actually, Putin is. Also anti-imperialist, and it's like, uh, yeah, it's not yeah, good. it's 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 real bad. German friends of mine are sort of like, uh, yeah, really going through it right now. And until there's sort of like a credible left in Germany, it's yeah. Yeah, I just want to clarify: there are definitely some base German leftists out there, but like on the mm. whole, you got you got you got. Oh yeah, yeah, it's the same. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the same as like I feel as every time I'm talking about like um you know like white South Africans that move to New Zealand it's like off, off mm. the top of my head there's a bunch of them that I can think of that are really involved in activism are really amazing organizers and do all this like really cool stuff and they're you know just really great people but it's like so many where it's just like you know like it's in general it's, it's a safe generalization but um you know we do recognize the concerted efforts of a few that are um you know bucking the trend Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Anyway, to move on from this <laughs> needless German hate that I've inspired, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so uh, Agent Hedgepiggle asks, this might be a bit tangential, okay, going with the theme, sure. uh, but are there any better uses for 3D printers for based activities? I'm aware of them being used for masks and other things for COVID lockdowns. Anything else? I mean, so I cards on the table. I don't like the kind of like uh, rough surface that three D printing produces. I find it like hideously ugly. Um, it is yeah. very useful if you want to like prototype something or you need like a really specific annoying part. Um, like yeah. uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to think what the most recent thing I've had three D printed is, and it was like this is the most me thing ever. Uh, so uh, the Soviet gas masks, the cheek filter ones, all of the filters for those had asbestos and like cobalt and shit in them. So you mm, can't use mm. the actual filters, but without them, the mask looks all like shapeless and, and baggy. So like, I just had a couple of like 3D printed like spacers made very mm. like baroque application. No one would ever make this to order without 3D printing being a thing. Uh, and I was able to be like, yeah, I just need like this shape, this depth, please make this. And like a couple of weeks later, I got them in the post and it was, you know, it, it holds the thing open. That's, you know. And, and now you'll be able to filtrate out deadly gases better, which is obviously what you have your gas mask for. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, yeah, it, it, all kinds of like, you know, tiny fiddly things like this, like, oh, I need like a clip to hook this part to this part or whatever. Yeah. Or like, I want to like prototype something that I'm later going to build in like a real material yeah. and see if it fits then it's it's great for that like it is genuinely useful prototyping should be taken two ways having done a lot of like manufacture mm. um the one is like making sure this works in a proof of concept or if you're only going to do it this one time and it requires fiddly parts yeah. um the other one is that your prototyping is in literally making the first of something and then you're going to cast that into whatever kind of mold and then you're going to pour mm. from them the, the shape that that's been created in so like it can be uh you know very effective and this is like where it's used in industry is a lot of the time mm -hmm. like a very effective way to and i mean speaking of guns even like you can actually see there are a lot of um there are a lot of guns that like their their uh body is 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 some kind of plastics that like you can see the oh, same yeah. kind of 3d printed looking grain but they haven't been mm -hmm. 3d printed because as well as that grain you can also see like a pore line and a and a, and a mm -hmm. place where like a stem has been broken off because what's happened is they've printed the part and then they've made a mold yeah. and then they've they've injection molded yeah. the same yeah. off that part yeah, um, yeah. and normally you would um you would want to sand it down and stuff like with molding yeah. and stuff it's like you know overhang and all that kind of stuff but um sometimes you just don't need to Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so what was the next one that we had here? Um, <laughs> DSMA wants to know, Alice, what did you have for breakfast? <laughs> I had a little like square of uh, like a protein bath thing because I'm on a diet. Mm. Um, but it was it was like uh, toffee flavored, which felt quite decadent. So, mm. yeah, that's that's my sort of like, like um, my bourgeois, my bourgeois confession. <laughs> <laughs> that, protein bar. yeah 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 <laughs> i've right. been adding in a little bit of peanut butter to like chocolate fuel to feel to feel anything at all lately um, <laughs> yeah and that's and that's really what like... gets you into the lulag as well you know it's it's so unfair <laughs> to be honest but you know rules are rules i'm sure i can make some some kinds of like um arguments that it was for it was for kink reasons and then they wouldn't put me in the lulag <laughs> they would give me a, 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 med, a medal for services to quit yeah 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 Mm. Yeah. <laughs> a little uh, a little latex star. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like uh, flapping around, you know. <laughs> yeah. It has no backing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Prince Infidel asked, are there less lethal 3D printed weapons floating around? I mean... I played Watch Dogs 2 as well, and I enjoyed it, but to the best, on knowledge and belief, no one has yet made, like, a 3D printed taser. I mean, you could do, if you'd like, you know, it's it's mostly plastic, and it's just the cartridges and stuff, but I don't think it's anything anyone's actually done. Yeah, well, take a look at what I just posted in chat. Oh god, what am I about to see here? It's time some to fucking Elon shit. Yeah, it's, it's time to describe oh, some shit. stuff for the podcast listeners. So, oh, this is this is what the Black Hammer guy is going to use on that oil executive. <laughs> let's just all let's just all take a second and make sure the podcast listeners have caught up. Previously, mm. Tim posted, I think, uh, yeah, a vibrator into chat. Um, it's like a Hitachi-looking vibrator, and it really and then, looked like it would actually destroy your clit. This was now it's being three D printed. Finally, uh, skill issue. Um, but the yeah. but this is a collapsing katana. Um, uh, <laughs> good lord! Uh, it looks I like mean, it's I made don't... out of that chocolate, you know, caramac. It's like yeah, <laughs> oh chocolate. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, looks, it does it's look like... about as effective as if you whack someone with a Toblerone. To be honest, when you, when you <laughs> need to keep your blood sugar up in the middle of the assassination, you just take a bite off the, <laughs> off the hilt of your your katana. The caramac can do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the chocolate coin version of a katana, like it's actually wrapped in foil, and then it's like the really like yeah, Easter yeah. eggy kind of chocolate. Um, I actually really right, like then. that stuff, to be honest. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's made me want one. I'm gonna have to go to the shop and get one after this. Yeah. <laughs> cheap, che- okay. really cheap chocolate. It's uh, got a nuance all its own, you know. Yeah, it really does. Uh, okay, so the last question that we have, yeah, the last question we have is from How Sam thinks and says. IDK, if it's any good, I don't know enough about DIY weapons to ask about that. Is it at all possible to create legitimately anti-capitalist art within the confines of capitalist structural systems? You don't create anti-capitalist art or indeed any kind of art with a 3D printer or a paintbrush or whatever. You create it with your <laughs> soul. Oh, yes. oh, oh, yeah. See? Yeah, you can, you, can, you can do anything. Yeah, just yeah, fuck around. Yeah. It's, it's fine. You can do that. And I mean, it'll just get recuperated anyway. But fucking enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You, you can you can prototype something that says like society on it, and in the time it takes you to print the second one, it's already been absorbed into like uh, the liberal sort of yeah, consensus. Yeah. You know, three D printing and just a little um, a little a little Joker Funko Pop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm now imagining like a a three D printed version of Tetsuo from Akira, like. <laughs> all like different shitty things that people have made like you know that one rock head with like the tentacles underneath and stuff i'm sure people have seen yeah. that like and then like the guns and all this stuff yeah mm, why know. don't you create that why don't you create that i created it just then in my head but you could do that there you go yeah that's right <laughs> got a last minute question uh in chat that says um question if you need something to cheer you up to the whole crew preferred fallout new vegas build finally we can fill the we can fill another hour of content now um <laughs> no it's it, it's like three words it's like uh stealth and small guns easy you know uh, just just mm. sneak around crouch walk everywhere uh pretend yeah. like your knees don't hurt and just kind of yeah that's that's a fun time yeah i don't I, um, at all. I like high int terrible luck and then put uh put on wacky wasteland <laughs> I, actually, I like, I I like the possibility good. I can I can like reason with every NPC and and dialogue tree my way through things, but if I am in any combat, everything will be utterly fucked. Yeah, I mm. tend to either go just like ridiculous like melee warrior close combat like 
murder everyone or just like stealth snipers and just like sit ages away from everything and just like you know just like take out a whole little base i mean and just the, like wander the in. action replays of taking out like the yeah, so those legion fascists are always the best yeah. when you're either like punching mm. them into meat or like watching the sniper bullet and i yeah. just love when they're like wandering running around and they're just like uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i knew i knew starfield was cooked when i realized that you couldn't really sneak in it and after oh, that i was just like yeah, all of the like proc gen environments are too like close. It, you can't oh, really right. do it. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like the Fallout problem, but like worse, you know. Yeah. Yeah. My instinct to not buy that game has been confirmed once again. Yeah, to be good yeah. and based. Very true. <laughs> well, the thing is, I I am like uh, Todd Howard's bitch, and I will do it. I will buy mm. it. You know, whatever he puts out. So you know, this, it just yeah. works. It just it just works. <laughs> I can't wait till they release Elder Scrolls 6 and it's going to be completely unrecognizable. It's going to be like a, a, a horrible mashup of Starfield and Fallout 76. All the worst bits of all the things that they've like, that yeah. they've like yeah. prototyped in games over the fucking last few years. Yeah. Oh boy. They're going to hype it up so, so much after, like, the 10th consecutive special edition of Starfield, yeah. where they're like, we, we we put fishing in it, you can you can tr- play it now, please. It's like... We give it its own special little mod shop, you guys love those, you love it when you yeah. can make ah, the legal love them, mods. Love them. Yeah. <laughs> nice, alright, well, I think that's all the questions then. Um, yeah. So, Wonderful. Alice, if people wanted to... Um, to 3D print uh, a, a set of URLs to find to <laughs> to to be able to yeah. put up somewhere, and then people would have to type in the uh-huh. URL when they saw the 3D printed one uh, to yeah. find your stuff. What would those URLs say? Yeah, sure. If, to? if if you want to 3D print a one to one scale Alice, uh, you can you can do that. I'm on Twitter at Alice Avazandum, um, and I have three podcasts. I do a podcast called Trash Future about how tech and finance and capitalism are very bad. I do a podcast called Well, There's Your Problem about how engineering and capitalism are very bad. And I do a podcast called Kill James Bond about how James Bond and movies and capitalism are very bad. Uh, so please feel free to check out any of those. And thanks so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Um, oh, I'm this? sure you'll be back to argue again. Yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, I, I think people should especially check out Kill James Bond if they've enjoyed our discussion of gadgets and gizmos and doohickeys. But then mm. I suppose it's been a very engineering-focused one, so you've got well, there's your problem as well. Yeah. Um, cool. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, of course. Right then, that's that's the end of the discussion, but it's not the end of the show quite yet. Uh, there not is no quite. homework this week because we're just having a little discussion. The homework is to remember everything we've said and take it deadly seriously, and argue with our political enemies online, wasting hours and hours of everyone's time. Um, <laughs> Correct. That's not homework. Never do that. Um, <laughs> instead, we don't do debate here. We don't do debate here, everyone. Only when Alice um, is on the show. Only when Alice brings the debate to us. Uh, because, <laughs> because I baited her into it. Um, so, uh, instead, time to promote the Patreon. Remind everyone that the, the show is made possible by the support of our patrons at uh, patreon.com slash red underscore planet. I'm going to just practice typing that into my URL right now. That's uh, a really good thing to do, Just Sophie. so that I, I'm definitely not checking what the tiers are again, like, every no. week. Uh, because I forget 
every week. For those of us but, that um, have, I was just, um, I was just practicing typing in patreon.com slash red underscore planet. I don't know what uh, the, the whole, there's a, a witch hunt. There's an inquisition thing. going on. This Sophie's on the hot seat. I was literally just practicing typing in the URL. <laughs> patreon.com slash red underscore planet. And look at that. Um, I now will from memory tell you that the first tier that you can support us <laughs> that is called Sprite Mode. And it's £2 a month, uh, $2 a month for New Zealand dollars? $3.50 Plus GST. Okay. Uh, and it says, get started with your support for Red Planet by becoming a Sprite. Benefits include the sacred and forbidden knowledge that you are helping the Red Planet team, early access to VODs, access to the Red Planet Discord, and also, you know, supporting us, making the show happen. Pretty cool. IMO. But Mule, what if people wanted to support us more than that? Oh, if you wanted to support us a bit more than that, you could go goblin mode with £8.50. And that is $10 as well. And I think it's 12 New Zealand dollars, 16 17 Fuck, six seventeen yeah. fifty. Does it change every week? No, it doesn't. It does. Uh, Sometimes it does. Oh, okay. Uh, everyone loves a goblin. We all get a little goblin mode from time to time. Complete your gobology by going goblin mode with everything from sprite mode, a pack of cool red planet stickers for you to stick in legal places and only places like that. Access to exclusive red planet discord hangouts like when we watch movies and all that kind of business. It's dead good. Uh, and there's a bit more though, Tim. What, what's the next one? The next one is Beast Mode. So that's uh, in New Zealand dollars. It is $34.50. Um, it is, what, it's like 20, 20 US, about 20 pounds as well. Is that it? It's 17 pounds. And it's $20. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, holy shit. Are you actually going to go Beast Mode? Well, then we can offer you all the stuff from the lower tiers and pin badges. Yep, pin badges. We got excellent new Red Planet pin badge literally everywhere. It's completely cool and good to do. And um, yeah, so all the other stuff. What though, if you're, uh, if Goblin Mode, Sprite Mode, Beast Mode just aren't enough, if you're truly, a truly sickened individual, um, what can we offer? If you're if your like pathology of supporting Red Planet has driven you to extremes, you have pictures of all the hosts plastered on your on your bedroom wall. Every <laughs> guest you've found images of them and added them to your to your shrine to Red Planet. Uh, and also you happen to have a lot of disposable income, uh, and yet still somehow that's how you're spending your time. It sounds like you're a <laughs> sicko and that you need to go sicko mode, and it's the only way, short of trepanation, that you can possibly uh, let the sickness out. Uh, and sicko mode costs a hundred dollars a month, or eighty-five pounds a month, or mm-hmm, some uh, New Zealand dollars per 172. month. And, that's what I said. And if you support us this much, <laughs> we can really only reasonably offer you everything we've already said, and a special thank you message at the end of every stream, which looks like this: JBP, Narrowland, Starfire, and Queen Pib. Thank you so much. You are our sickos, and we appreciate you enormously. Thank you so um, much. Right. Well then. That's that's the Patreon. I don't think we've mentioned that we also do do possess merch. Do we possess it? Conrad possesses it, and he can ship it yeah. to you if you buy it off him. Um, <laughs> and you can possess a, it. <laughs> and then you can possess it. Um, we have merch. You can find it at mercenarycreative.com. Uh, uh, t-shirts, tote bags. There will be more designs soon. We're, we're, we're actively chatting and working on, on that. Uh, but there's one 
other thing to mention about the about uh, supporting the show, uh, we probably should have said during the the tier list, and we'll probably should update the Patreon to say this as well. But um, there is now a spinoff show of Red Planet with a first episode that's about to go up onto Patreon uh, called Limited Hangouts. It's a show I conceived of in my powerful brain, um, where we talk about conspiracy theories. Limited Hangout is a um, is an intelligence community term for when the state releases like a bit of information about something to stoke more conspiracy theories, but not enough mm-hmm. for people to get the whole picture, right? Um, the format of the show is that we talk about the full real life, actual thing of something that there are conspiracy theories about. Then we have a little discussion about how conspiracy theories work. And then we talk about what conspiracy theories are believed about it. And the, the first episode on Bill Gates will be up on our Patreon imminently so um for all for all patrons so get that go check that out and uh we're working on more episodes uh mule and i are going to record one with comrade soon i've got another one in mind for tim haven't told him anything about it yet though gonna spring it on him in a minute uh but tim first can you tell us where to find more tim if people are craving you if if you are if you got that craving and you just can't get enough um you can jump on over to i think i'm both uh yeah, both Twitter and Blue Sky. <clears throat> you can find me under Dread Conquest and um oh and on YouTube and um and Twitter. No Twitch, sorry. <laughs> Places I'm under Conquest of Dread as well. So um either one of those, you'll find me. There's no one else with a similar name. I hope not. I've never checked. Um <laughs> big call to make. What about you, Mule? Where can we find more Mule? Thank you very much, Tim. Uh, <clears throat> you can find me at linktree.ee forward slash DJ Mule, DJ M-U-E-L for the podcast listeners. Um, yeah, basically, uh, I have got a new video that's coming out very soon, should be out this week, um, which is about TikTok Live and how bad that is. So if you're all unaware of how bad TikTok Live is, you can watch it on my YouTube and learn from me. Everyone needs that, don't they? Another cisgender white male telling you things. Everybody wants that, don't they? So you can get that on my YouTube channel this week. Um, also uh, on my Patreon, which is where you could give me money, which is really, really cool. I don't know if, if you know if you are a cool person, uh, you would just give me money. And if you go to patreon.com forward slash DJ Mule, DJ M-U-E-L, uh, you could also find some exclusive Twitch VODs. So for example, on Saturday, I was dressed as a gnome, spinning some drum and bass on the decks, the ones and twos, as they say. Who says that? I don't know, but someone does, apparently. Um, so you can get that. That's not available on the VOD channel. You can't get that on my VOD channel, which is listed on my link tree. Uh, you can only get it as a Patreon. You have to be possum tier and above, paid £5. Uh, apparently, my audio is crackling. No idea why. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. I don't know what else to say about that. Uh, <laughs> deal with it, I guess. It's near the end of the show. <laughs> um, uh, what, uh, that's it. That's me. What about Sophie? What about Sophie? Uh, let me tell you right now. You can go to linktour.ee slash Sophie from Mars. All my links are on there. I'm on all the websites. I'm trying to be on fewer websites at this point, uh, like Twitter. Fuck that. I mean, you're going to charge money to be on there soon. I'm not paying money for Twitter. Um, but you can get me on Blue Sky. Tumblr, I'm trying to make more of a more of a presence on. 
uh i'm i've recently discovered that there, there are women appreciators on tumblr and that i can post my selfies there and get lots of likes so you know that might be my new place i go to get the dopamine find me on there um i'm also on youtube and that's kind of my main job i make video essays i uh have a very good video called the world is not ending if you've not seen it you really should um if you yes. have any feelings about the statement the world is not ending probably should watch that video um cool i am working on a new installment of my series monster men which is about monster stories what they mean why we tell them and where they come from that will be out hopefully in time for halloween Ooh, spooky Ooh. Ooh. um as you can see that early as well as read the essay in text form early on patreon.com slash sophie from mars uh lastly of course we should mention that uh absent Precious, delightful host Kira so uh, also has her. a link tree that is at the URL linktree.eu/slash Kira chats, and you can see all of her links, absolutely everything, nothing not revealed in those links. But going to Linktree right now, you can see it all. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. See you next week. Bye. 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 I'm, oh, p- I'm pointing and waving. I'm doing both. Biggest, biggest. Thanks for listening to this episode of Red Planet. If you enjoyed the show, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell all your comrades about it. Find more on the show, including where to watch live at redplanetshow.com. Follow us on Twitter and TikTok at red underscore planet underscore TV. And there's even more at our Patreon, patreon.com slash red underscore planet. Our music is by Jasper Byrne. Red Planet is produced by Conrad Zimmerman in association with Mercenary Creative. See you next week.